Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 134. This is Dave. This is Barry. Filling in this week is Canadian film and television legend Don McKellar. Wow. <laughs> I don't even, okay. Nice shout out to Don McKellar. That, that was quite good, yes. Um, wow. So it's been a few weeks. This might be an epic long episode, I get the feeling. Well, Especially since we all finally saw Black Swan. So. Well, it's the end of our year episode. So. This is true. This, hey. this is going to be our last episode of the year. We're going to take the next few weeks off. We'll be recording again on January 9th. And uh, coming back, we may have some fun new things ready to go by then. Um, yes. When are we going to do our best of the year episode? How long do you think <sighs> it's going to take to like the second week of January? Or? I'm thinking probably the end of January. What do you think, Ethan? Just to give us time to catch up on stuff? Yeah, I'd say about then. Yeah, because okay. I don't want to go into February like we have before because that's just a little bit too long. Well, I just I have a short list. Like, I want to see True Grit. I want to yep. see How Do I Know. Uh, how Do You Know, rather. Uh, Somewhere and uh, The Fighter. Those are like the four I want to see before the year's out. But otherwise, I f- I'm feeling pretty good okay. on my list. Cool. And I've got like a top 30 worst of the year list. So. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, wait. but five simple words for me. Great things come in bears. <laughs> oh, the movie that's <laughs> going to take Tron down this weekend. Wow, wouldn't that be sad if that was the <laughs> case? Be, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. Wow, all right, let's go ahead and talk about what we watched this week. Ethan, you want to kick us off? Or the past few weeks, I guess yeah. probably a better way to put it. Okay, Dave, I want you to go to my Twitter. Oh, goodness, hang on here. It's Ethan Don't Dennis, read right? it. Yeah, yeah, it's that. Clickety-clackety-clickety-clackety. There you are. I document, I document every movie I watch now on Twitter, and I want... You're going to, like... Read out the title, and I'm going to say what I thought of it. Okay, going back to what date? Go, I am love. Make that the starting point. Scroll down. Okay, one was one. Wow. Okay. Um, I was enjoying. Uh, why does Jamie Fox keep releasing albums? <laughs> it's a great title for any article. There you go. Yeah, that would work. Um, dude, how far back is this thing? Oh, no, it's far our, back. <laughs> is it? Yeah, just saw I am love. Where to go? Life. Yeah, I can just do it this way and be smart. There it is. Okay, we're good. All right, so yeah, I am love. Uh, yeah, for me, MacGruber still has the best sex scene of the year. Wow. That's all I really have to say about that. Dang. All right, then. Go, it, go to the next movie. That, that, that would be the discreet charm of the bourgeois? Z? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bunnell film. Yeah, it was quite enjoyable. Some pretty amusing scenes in it. I'd like to see it again, though, but 3.5 out of 4 for me. Mm. Go to go. the next movie. Well, it's a criterion, so, you know, how do you go wrong there? Uh, the Yes Men Fix the World. Yeah, this, um, at here at university, we have this documentary series called Cinema Politica, where it's like every Monday night they screen uh, culturally relevant documentaries. And uh, have you guys heard of the Yes Men? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Well, okay. Uh, they're these guys who play pranks on corporations by um, starting fake w- websites, uh, posing as them, and then having uh, you know other people invite them over and they give meetings and they basically like say things like, "We plan on polluting the environment to do this." Blah, 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 blah. And uh, I'm not big into movies like these, but my all my friends were going, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, and you know, we went to the bar after, so it was worth it. But these kind of documentaries just sort of leave me cold. There's not really enough filmmaking in them for me to kind of get behind them, and I sort of just zone out, and they go in one eye and out the other. 
and all my friends were really impressed with it. So I was kind of like, uh, but whatever. Next movie. The Cirque Rouge. The Cirque Rouge, yes. Um, this is a film by uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, who did uh, Les Samurais. And um, it's this crime movie where uh, Alain Delon, for, also from Les Samurais, plays a thief who just got out of jail. And he crosses paths with this uh, guy who just escaped from prison and uh, this kind of former police officer. They all cross paths to plan a heist together. And this movie, I will say, with absolutely no hesitation, is a masterpiece. I was blown away by it. Uh, it's like Les Samurai. There's lots of long stretches of no dialogue and just pure cinema. And it's one of the most suspenseful films I've ever seen. I was blown away by it. It's on Criterion, so Great. check it out. That's all you need to know. So, so has this been a Criterion run for you? or No, not completely. Okay, never I went mind. To- That's stuff. All right, well, should I go to the next one? Yeah. Where the Truth Lies. Yeah, this is a Adam McGoyan movie that came out like five years ago. Five years, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's about Kevin Bacon and Colin Firth play this uh, entertainment team. I'm not sure if they were based off somebody in real life. Martin and Lewis, yeah. Yeah, I was saying that. And basically there's this thing around them being involved in a murder and Alison Lohman is investigating it to write a book. And um, to be honest, I thought this movie was pretty damn bad. Like, I I just thought it was like a misfire in almost every, in almost every way. And uh, just Adam McGoin, like, you know, he's a great director, but every once in a while his aloofness can be a little just not just doesn't work and uh particularly i thought you know kevin bacon he can be kind of bad like he he can be he's given some pretty awful performances bacon can be hammy you know what i mean oh oh you know that you know you just make me have to bust that out right there sir that hurt that hurt okay next movie Uh, before we get to that something about you remixing the social network Score? Yeah, I've, I have a lot of free time, so in GarageBand, I'm doing a remix of nice. some tracks. Fun, fun. All right, next up is yeah. The Death of Mr. Lazar Sue. La- yeah, um, this is a film from the Romanian New Wave, and uh, it's a film about this guy, Mr. Lazarescu, I think. Yeah. That's how it's pronounced. And um, he's basically, he has, he's in his home, you know, it's an average night. He's like 62 years old, and he starts having an ulcer. And other like headaches and other pains, and he um, he goes looking to the other people in his apartment to help him. And eventually, you know, they call a medic, and they he goes to all these hospitals who turn him down because they're like, "You're a drunk. You probably hit your family. You don't deserve medical treatment." And it's uh, two and a half hours long, and it's just yeah, it's special and trying to get care. And this yeah, this movie is awesome. It it really makes you uh, think about the idea of healthcare in this day and age and how doctors treat their patients and it's uh, again I mentioned part of the Romanian new wave which is like there's all these other films like uh, four months three weeks and two days and this other film things like something east of Bucharest and uh, yeah I'm excited to check out more of these movies because this movie was pretty awesome speaking Next of pretty movie. awesome sir the rocketeer yeah um, I thought it was a pretty fun movie uh, it's it was, uh, I'm trying to think of things to say about it. Um, 
it was interesting. There wasn't a lot like the action in it didn't actually that do that much for me, but I, I really enjoyed the uh, period setting and um, how the kind of behind like the behind the scenes of Hollywood played into that. I thought that was pretty interesting, and I thought Timothy Dalton was awesome in it as uh, Errol Flynn if he were a Nazi. All right. Next oh, movie. Sorry, my bad. Uh, the Piano. You've been like going through them like crazy. Yeah, the uh, Gene. I've had an award this week, so. Uh, yeah, the Piano. Good movie. Uh, very. I really enjoyed the atmosphere of it. Uh, particularly, there's a scene where um, Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin they're like walking through this swamp and just like throw this uh, piece of wood to walk on because then their like dress starts sinking in the mud and I just. That Campion's uh, sense of atmosphere was amazing, and it's again, it's one of the many films where you see Harvey Keitel's penis. So, well, there's that. Yeah. Next film. Wow. Uh, do we want to save this one for last? Because it's going to spark, it... spark discussion between all three of us. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'll go back to that one. Uh, yeah, because that's that's in the releases this week. So. Oh yeah. Oh, because it's expanding. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's expanding. Okay. Uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, I shot Andy Warhol is next. I think this is your yeah. last one. Oh, no, you got one more after this. Um, yeah, this uh, was from Mary Heron, directed American Psycho. And it's about the uh, woman who shot Andy Warhol, as played by Lily Taylor. I saw this movie because before somewhere, I want to see more uh, Dorf films. And uh, I was pretty impressed with his performance in this. In case you don't know, he plays Candy Darling, who is a drag queen. Yeah. And uh, he's incredibly feminine in it. So, yeah, I was pretty impressed by his performance. The movie overall is okay, but it's worth seeing for Dorf. And, uh, you didn't like Lily film? Taylor or Jared Harris? Yeah, uh, yeah, they're all great. The performances are great, just the movie overall is kind of eh. But, okay. All right, then. And, and then finally... Witness, Witness is my last film, I think. Yep. But are we doing, are we doing a Peter Weir episode? We are. We are doing, that's why we've watched so much Peter Weir. Yeah. So we'll skip that one. I'll just that. save that. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll I'll just save that for. Uh, okay. Barry, do you want to go next? Or you want and thank you for, but thank you for not reading any of my personal tweets. Well, I thought about it. I thought about it. Some of them were pretty funny, but I didn't. If some, you want will, to... some of them would make good titles for movies, by the way, but I won't say which ones those are. But yeah, a few of those. In fact, one that starts with thank you for, um, I think that would be a great Adam Sandler film. Which is a good segue for my, uh, what I saw this <laughs> week. I did see Adam Sandler's Grown Ups. Um, I'm sorry. Nice. And there's nothing I could say about it that Ethan didn't already say. Um, but it is a lazy, embarrassing film. Um, you know, every awful movie, as I always say, has the irredeemable moment. And this one, where Maria Bello sprays her breast milk all over Maya Rudolph, um, you know, seriously, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. It's a terrible film. Um, a good film, a really good film, a nice surprise because it had such a terrible trailer. A film called City Island with uh, with Andy Garcia. This is a real surprise. It's Andy Garcia and Juliana Margulies and Emily Mortimer. Um, it's basically just a kind of an East Coast story, and uh, Andy Garcia haven't, hasn't given a performance of this magnitude in a long time. Just completely captivating performance and really wonderful film. Very sweet, very funny. Um, maybe a little too pat, like a. It is almost like an above-average sitcom. But that said, it, with I think kind of lowered and tempered expectations, it's a really, really good film. Um, not a bad performance in the in the batch. Um, a film I really have been looking forward to talking about. And I won't spend too much time talking about it since I don't think you either of you have seen it. Um, the film Monsters. 
uh, for me, this is the ink of the year. Uh, I couldn't believe how, how well done it was. I couldn't believe uh, that it was mostly improvised and done on this incredibly low budget. It's better than most Hollywood movies I've seen this year. It's better than most monster films I've seen in a while. It's far superior uh, to Cloverfield. It's definitely on the level of District 9, but it's a very different film than District 9. It's been unfairly compared to it, and I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. Um, I loved everything about this film, and I, I can't wait for it to finally explode on DVD. But it seems like in theaters, everyone's kind of ignoring it. But yeah, I love Monsters. I think it's one of the best of the year. Um, back to the garbage. Uh, I saw Brendan Fraser's Free Vengeance. Um, oh. You know, you, he deserves a special Oscar for the abuse he's been receiving in movies. Like, uh, in Fury Vengeance, I mean, even even though... Uh, Furry, excuse me, not Fury. That sounds like a Chuck Norris movie. Furry Vengeance. In, in this film... He undergoes abuse that clearly is not staged. I mean, there are scenes where they're, like, throwing wild animals at him. They're pushing him down a flight of stairs. They're pushing him over a hill. And it's clearly him, you know. He's running around uh, covered, so- soaking wet, wearing nothing but tidy whities um, you know, while, like, all sorts of things are hurled at his face. Um, I got to say, like, he is truly one of the hardest working actors in Hollywood, this guy. And maybe not acting, but, but truly reacting. Uh, yeah, so, like... Furry Vengeance is a pretty bad film, but I gotta say, like, if it has one or two really hilarious moments, it's because Brendan Fraser like works it so hard. But this is a film that opens up with a with a number of raccoons and squirrels conspiring to push a Porsche off a cliff. So it's that kind of film. So, um, okay, yeah, uh, and then definitely one of the worst films I've seen this year, if not the worst. Um, I, I I can't decide, but I think it's it's got to be number one or number two. It's up there, uh, The Bounty Hunter, which uh, with. Gerard Butler and Jennifer Aniston, uh, this film is just, it lacks the intelligence, the style, and the nuance of Gigli, and it's that kind of film. Oh, it's that kind of movie. Damn. It's a, it's a crime It's a crime comedy that's, not only is it not funny or exciting or interesting or unpredictable, but, I mean, Jennifer Aniston, who I'm not a fan of at all, I've not been a fan of hers since The Good Girl, um, she is so out of place in this movie. She is so, she is shriekingly out of place in this film, and it, it's just, painful painful to watch and Gerard Butler I mean it's like as if the ugly truth I mean I really thought that was going to be like the lowest point of his career but no it's clearly this movie um yeah yeah Bounty Hunter was just utterly dreadful and the last wasn't wasn't my father the hero wasn't the low point of his career Depardieu the other one Depardieu does he still do movies I haven't seen him in a while he was in Babylon AD (laughs) was he he was dubbed over though, so I don't even remember him in that movie, man. All right, I don't then. remember a lot about that movie to tell you the truth, but yeah, that was that was crappy. I finally got around to seeing Michael Mann's The Keep. This is the second film that Mann did, and I've been dying to see it. I read the book by F. Paul Wilson, which I really liked, and many of the reviews for this film uh, use the word incomprehensible to describe it. And I understand that because apparently it was originally three hours long. It's been butchered down to about ninety minutes. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and having read the book helped so much, um, but it doesn't help anybody else because I knew a lot more about the characters and the movies telling you. Um, a movie that stars Scott Glenn and Ian McKellen and Gabriel Byrne can't be all bad. And it's not all bad. It's visually incredible. Absolutely terrific. Tangerine Dream does the music. Um, so just as a visceral experience, it, it has a lot to offer. 
but uh, it's probably the weakest film in Michael um, Mann's filmography. Can I can I ask you, as someone who's read the book, I've seen the movie too. What, what exactly was Ian like? Why did the Nazis get Ian McKellen? Like, what was he supposed to do to help them? Like, that was I was so confused by that. In the movie. He's a, and, and I'm, I'm deriving this as much from the book as I am from the movie. He knew about the the writing on the wall. He was the only kind of scholarly expert who was able to decipher what the keep was, and and he was like the only one who was basically able to tell them anything about the keep. So they they're they're you know they're allowing him to live so that he can basically tell them everything that's going on, and he's like the only one who can kind of predict uh, whether the monster shows up or not. So that that's my okay. understanding. Yeah, like that's why he's That might have been explained in the movie and I was just zoning out. But. You know, I don't think it was because like I saw the movie the whole way through and I was a little sleepy watching it so I actually watched it a second time the whole way through and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, man, like they're leaving so much out like just little details even like a, like a little scroll or like a little title card would help so much just to explain things but by the end of the movie, I mean, it's literally just like the monster shows up, there's a big light show, and like, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch, but it doesn't make a lick of sense because there's so many details that uh, that are left out. I'm hoping that maybe Michael Mann will release like a, you know, the three-hour cut one day. I mean, he, he's released like a three-hour cut of every other movie he's done, but uh, this hasn't even been released on DVD in the U.S., so. And then uh, finally, a film that Marty told me to see, and I'm really glad I did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, American Grindhouse, a lot of fun. This is a documentary about the Grindhouse era. Um, deals with everything from black exploitation to sex exploitation to drug films and biker films and whatnot. They leave out some really important films, like they don't talk about El Topo, they don't talk about David Lynch at all, which I thought was kind of surprising. But for all the stuff they leave out, it's pretty great. Like they they break everything up into categories. They interview some really wild characters. Like they interview the guy who directed um, Elsa, Elsa, Queen of a uh, she double of the SS. They actually find the guy who directed nice. an interview. And I gotta say, like, wow! Like, who would have thought they'd ever find this guy? But they they actually find him and they they give him a great interview. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a must see for like fans of those types of movies. Very cool. Right on. I've got so much stuff. Oh okay. my gosh. Oh well. I'll start. Out, I'll start off with the movie I couldn't talk about last episode being Tangled. Um, it's not doing that well at the box office, and I. Oh man. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it hasn't made its budget back yet, even. So. How much did it cost? Because it made $115 million. Yeah, it's like 155 Ah, oh, well. So it'll hit it afterwards. But. I think Tangled and Narnia are going to do fine over the Christmas break. I do. I mean, if, if it come January, those movies haven't made $200 million, okay. But but I think Tangled's going to do well. People are loving this movie. It is a fun, fun movie. Uh, they bring in Zach Levi, plays a, a, a swashbuckling, kind of charming guy named Flynn. And uh, Mandy Moore plays Rapunzel, and they, the, the linchpin of this movie is their chemistry, and it comes across beautifully. Wow. Uh, if you're a fan of Chuck, Zachary Levi kind of has that goofy charm about him, but he, he does more of the Charles Carmichael as opposed to the Chuck Partaski, which means he's got that goofy charm without the super nerdiness. And it's a blast. It's so much fun having them run around. You can tell that they brought in, oh shoot, uh... Don Hahn or something like that. I forget the guy who who was the lead animator of Beast on Beauty and the Beast. Okay, was one of the guys who he was the lead animator for the three this three D film, and you could tell they were really trying to make it feel like a two D like had that two D magic, but in three D. Okay, and for the most part, it was definitely successful. It's a blast. The three D is completely unnecessary. Uh, there's like two scenes that kind of benefit from it that are really cool. Outside of that, you really don't need to see it in three D. Hmm. Uh, the, the the there are two problems I have with this movie. First of all, the the music is weak. Um, shoot, I, I don't even remember who did the music. See, this is bad. Is it just Randy Newman? Doesn't no. Fit? Huh? <laughs> no, it was not Randy Newman because I remembered that. Trent Reznor? Yes, see, you got it right there. <laughs> wow. Uh, let's see here. Where, where's, 
I hate it'll be below uh, the cast. Yeah, it'll be like Seymour. Yeah, there it is, full cast and crew. Oh, these silly people. Wilson uh, Phillips. Yes, actually. You got Alan nice. Menken. Alan Menken, really? I thought it was pretty. The weak. guy who did the music to The Little Mermaid and it sucked. Well, it didn't suck. It was repetitive. It reminded you a lot of The Little Mermaid. Uh, huh. None of the songs were actually like catchy and really stuck with you. I can't remember a single song from the movie. But it's a musical. It has musical parts to it. Okay, so it's like enchanted in that way. In so well, no, it's it's now it's probably closer to like The Little Mermaid, where they just have song moments interspersed throughout the movie okay and it just was kind of weak i hate to say it okay uh and the second problem i had was with the uh the the villain uh let's see here donna murphy i have no idea who that is not ron perlman no 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 he was fun no she was the the main bad guy whatever she played donna murphy she was in star trek uh, insurrection Wow! Oh gosh! Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, she's the movie. one that uh, that yeah. that that hooked yeah, up that, with Picard. Yeah. Yeah. Picard okay. had the hots for right. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> they try they try really hard to give her like this Cruella Deville look to her, hmm. but there's and she tries to be menacing, but it just I never buy it. And really. She's an evil mother goose. Yeah. Pretty much. Interesting. Yeah. Evil mother Gothel. Yeah. Gothel. Okay. Yeah. But you know, Ron Perlman's great at Je- Jeffrey Tambor's fun in it and his little bit. Every time that she's not on the screen, it's just when it, when it's Flynn and Rapunzel, the movie comes alive and you have a great time with it. It's a blast. It's definitely worth like a like a matinee for sure. Um, otherwise, wait for it to DVD. But okay. I, I think it's well worth checking out. You know how we said before that uh, Princess and the Frog seemed like a step in the right direction. This seems like a continuation of that. Great. It's not a, a back to the glory days, but it's definitely another step in the right direction. Well, good, I good. Think. So, uh, let's see what else we got next. Oh, this is a movie you told me to watch. Uh, through your Wild 105 spot last week, I took Steph up to go see Morning Glory, which, oh my gosh, you haven't talked about this either. No, I have not. Uh, it's Harrison Ford is charming and fun in a movie. How long has it been since that happened? 1990. Hollywood homicide. Jeez. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't say charming. He's not charming at all. He's a jerk. No, he's a jerk. But, but he's, he's entertaining. He's, but he's great in this role. He's yeah. entertaining. He plays off Diane Keaton beautifully. Uh, it's it's just it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Reggie McAdams. I mean, I love her work in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's solid all the way through. Um, Patrick Wilson, it, he he does well. I mean, he's essentially the eye candy for the movie, yeah, but he small holds role. his own. Yeah. But yeah, this could have been a really bad movie. I mean, if you look at the trailer, you could see that it looks like the Brad Garrett TV show a few years ago. Back to you. Yeah, but this was good. So yeah. I'm so glad you liked it. I'm so glad you didn't like take your wife and go up there and it's like another AI for you guys. So good. I'm, <laughs> I'm really glad to hear you enjoyed this. Yes, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then we saw the last Harry Potter movie, which was good. It was long. Yeah. I want to ask a question about that. This is something that's bugged me about the movie. I'll say a certain character dies near the end and everyone's been like, oh, that's, it was so sad. I was crying. I'm like, give me a... F- a give me a... F- a flipping effing break like it's you seriously get emotional over that are you talking about the cgi character who kicks off Uh, sorry the cgi character who kicks off yes and like like that's what people get emotional over like i just i don't know yeah i guess this brings out the snob in me but i just can't get emotional over things like that see i had the same reaction with the character who dies at the beginning as they're trying to escape like, oh, they killed him off. Okay. Well, I don't get how people... I, I agree with Ethan. Like, I don't get how people are going to be emotional about a character we haven't seen for, what, five movies now? He was, I, 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 I kind of get it just because I really liked this character because he was so put upon and so downtrodden and then yeah. kind of turned... You know, does his... Make, he doesn't turn into a badass, but he turned himself into a guy who tries has, to make himself. Yeah, he has you know, integrity. He, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So I thought it was a proper send-off for the character. Sure. Uh, I thought that was far more impressive than someone's, you know, little, yeah, I, that that I don't get. They didn't, the books never, see, I did the, the motion so I wouldn't give it away. This is one spot where the movies have not done something properly, and that was to establish the relationship and the importance of this character to Harry Potter. So when they killed the character off, I'm like, oh, he's gone, okay. Yeah, well, that's been my problem, as I've told you, with all these movies. I, I feel like some of the some of the Potter films are really good because the heart is there and the story and the characters there. And other of these films, I feel like they're kind of a special effects reel. And this one, I think, it does find its footing literally halfway through the movie when it's the journey between Potter and Hermione, even though that goes on way oh too long. Oh my gosh, that movie was a half hour too long. Oh no question, no. At when least, I heard Stephanie, when long. I heard Stephanie say, oh, "When is this movie gonna end?" I knew it was too long. Yeah. Like the movie had more endings than Return of the King, and we've still got another movie to go. Yeah. Well, they've said that uh, this one is all talk, and the next one is all action. But it's still—I mean, still—I think when you put the two together, it's still going to feel like a movie that's way too long I, and really uneven. And a lot of like, I think, like, like ready the actors. Like, I, I just see like David Thewlis and yeah. Timothy Spall and Amelda Stanton. I'm like, I want to watch them, not these kids. I completely agree. I paid it that. And all these movies, like, you got Alan Rickman and yeah, Staunton and like in the second one, Brana and like they're just they're just in there just to be the prestigious British actors, and then back to the kids who are basically learning to act as the movies progress. It's like, yeah, I want to see David Thewlis going a rant about Margaret Thatcher and like, <laughs> you know, smoke in a bad London apartment and stuff. But instead, no. you get Warwick Davis, like you know, covered in makeup. He has like two lines in every, each of these films. And that's he's in the it. movie like, for like thirty seconds. Pl- this Professor time. Flitwick, and like there he is, just kind of making it. He's like, it's like those characters on the Disney parade floats. So and it's like, there's Goofy, and he walks by, and that's all you see. You know, <laughs> I will admit, I loved seeing Luna. I think Luna's my favorite character in the series, just because how flighty and fun. Like she's like the most awesome character in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun, but yeah, it's definitely a troubled film. I think it's yeah. not perfect by a long shot. I saw a, a a Chinese kung fu movie called Ip Man. Ip Man? Ip I've, Man. Ip Man is another way to... Ip. Oh, Ip Man. Gotcha. Yeah. I've heard of it. Uh, it is hella good. It's about essentially about the guy who trained uh, Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee isn't even in the movie. I think he's like... They have like someone who's supposed to be him for like 10 seconds in the movie. Oh, wow. But he... It's the story of this guy who essentially is a martial arts master who doesn't really show off a lot. And these guys come to town and want to make a name for themselves and open up a martial arts school. So they kick the butt of every single school in the city. And they're like, all right. And then the bartender makes fun of them. He's like, well, you haven't beat this guy yet. And so he beats the guy up. And so there's going to be this rivalry forever or something, except the Japanese decide to invade before they can you know, have the rivalry. <laughs> and it turns, instead of like this, you know, this fight for honor, it turns into a story about how, how the Chinese people had to deal with, with Japan's uh, invasion and going from being a thriving society to literally living on a right bag of rice a week if you're lucky. And one of the Japanese master uh, generals wants to, you know, the Chinese masters to train his Japanese soldiers, and it it does culminate in a great fight and all that stuff. But it's really more about the human drama. So all the characters in the film really are very are, are very engaging, and, and it's a fascinating film. And the fight choreography, Sammo Hung did it, did it and oh, wow. it's freaking amazing. Like, there's not a whole lot of wire work. It's a lot of people just working really fast. I dug it. It's Neat. Sammo Hung. I remember Sammo Hung. Oh, yeah. yeah he had that did. show with uh, Arsenio Hall back yeah. in the day. There you go. What was it yeah. called? It was uh, Martial Law. Wow. Yeah, oh, I man. don't know. <laughs> I used to watch Martial it's on, Law. But that's on it, uh, Netflix streaming. It's well worth checking out if you can cool. find it. Okay. Uh, we, I took Steph to see Easy A over the weekend. Saw that again. It holds up on the second viewing. 
that I, I think this movie's brilliant. I love it. Is it one of the best films of the year? Possibly. Do I need um, to see it? Because I, I want yes, to see it. So. Yes, I think okay. you should see it. Okay. The only problem I have is with the Bible Club, but that's just... <laughs> oh, the characters, the Bible yes. Club. Yeah, okay. the characters in the Bible Club. Um, it's Amanda Bynes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because you know what else is at the Dollar Theater, and I'm so tempted to see it, is Skyline. Because I hear it's so like awesomely, wretchedly bad, but... But no, I'd, I'd rather see Easy A anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It holds okay, up well. Cool. And then uh, one of the movies you saw last year at the Denver Film Fest, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I saw Cropsey finally. What'd you think? It, that was fascinating. And it's on streaming as well. Great. Um, I didn't think it was quite as creepy as you did, but it's still kind of disturbing to have this legend of, you know, the monster, the boogeyman's going to come get you, and then they arrest the boogeyman. Yeah, and he's a real guy. Yep. Yeah, that, that was a little creepy, but it's very good. Uh, finally, I'll just wrap up with some TV. Uh, we've been watching more Castle. Show is so much fun. Like it's it's formulaic as all get out, but, but the, the cast, formula works and the chemistry works. Yeah, so that's all you makes care it work. about. Yep, yep. yep. Another equally kind of along the same lines. We've started watching Burn Notice on, on a serious level. We're in season two on both of them, and Bruce Campbell's freaking awesome. That's all I can say. Campbell's. I like Donovan and uh, yeah. and Gabriel and War too. Yeah, yeah. I like Burn Notice. It's yeah, everyone stuff. in there. That's a solid cast all the way through. And that's another show. Like Burn Notice and Castle, they're both doing like the moonlighting, you know, heart to heart formula. But like that, when it works, it works. And in different ways. Yes. So yes. Uh, let's see. I finally got around to watching the two Robot Chicken Star Wars. Movies. Oh man, because isn't the third one coming out real soon? Yeah, no, no, the Family Guy one is, but I don't know if I'm sure Robot Chicken's probably doing one. Yeah, too. I think there's Ro- there's Robot Chicken. It's it says yeah, episode three, and Zach Efron is doing the voice of I think Anakin. <laughs> yeah, that's coming out like in a week or two. Yeah, <laughs> that's freaking brilliant. But this is so much fun. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. sketches. It's an idea that makes you laugh, and then it moves on to the next thing. Boba Fett's freaking hilarious in these two because he's just like the pimp daddy. Right, right. Just ask him. <laughs> And, yeah, isn't yeah. it Breckin Meyer who's do, who does Boba Fett? I think so. It's yeah. either him or Seth uh, Seth, uh, Seth Green. Seth, Seth Green. Green. Yeah. Yes. I've started watching Breaking Bad a little bit here and there. Yes, that's an interesting show. Um, I'm only two or three episodes in, but wow. What is the premise of the show? I'm honestly not familiar with it. <laughs> uh, Brian Cranston, who you may know as the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, mm-hmm. plays a chemistry teacher who is told that he has cancer and a couple years to live at best. And he's kind of broke, hates his life, and decides to become a meth maker. He decides to cook meth. And that's wow. about as far as I am into it right now. Interesting. I, I, uh, and, that, well, Jesse, the character of Jesse. Yeah, his former student becomes his partner. Who's, he's, one, he's just as important of a character as Walt is, but I guess he'll get into that. I'm sure I will. I'm only two episodes in, like I said. Didn't it win the Best Actor Emmy last year? Like, it's, Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, supporting, and supporting actor for uh, the guy who plays Jesse, who's amazing. Uh, yeah. 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 He, he's really starting to grow on me because I'm at the point where they had to dispose of the body in, in the yeah. bathtub, and he used the bathtub. That was <laughs> so gross, yet so funny. I Yeah. yeah I need to see it. I keep hearing how good this is. It's, it's good. It's rough, but it's good. Uh, Chuck... Still fun, still a good time. They're, they're they're working that whole they're they're that's working the heart to heart thing, because it it's just a blast. I yeah, it's not the most amazing show, but it's so much fun. I can't wait to watch it every week. And finally, The Walking Dead ended. It ended. I have to wait another year to see anymore. When's it come back? Halloween next year. Halloween? Holy yep. crap! Well, hey, at least by then I'll be all caught up with it. Yeah, wow, it's only Hall- six episodes. Halloween? Can't believe it's that long. Yeah, that's a huge freaking break. Yeah, what I love about this show is, did you want to say something, Ethan? Actually, I'll say, you, you finish what you have to say, then I'll... Okay. I posted this on Facebook and a few other w- websites, but what I love about, the, love about this TV show is they took the characters that you know if you read the comics, they take the universe you know, and this movie is set in the same universe, 
but they essentially take a wild right hand turn like three episodes in and take the characters down an entirely different path nothing even remotely ever mentioned in the comics but it works beautifully because the creators in it Frank Darabont's working on it it's just a really good show. I've dug the crap out of it. And they set it up to essentially go back on path with the comics with the next season. I think what they did was we've got six episodes. Let's do a little side story. So if it doesn't work, it's something new for the fans. And if it does work, we can get back to the series next season. I would say, speaking of television, did either of you guys see the uh, Christmas episode of Community? No. I heard it was amazing. The stop yeah, motion. Yeah, it was stop motion animation. Yeah. It's not like one of the funniest episodes, but it's one of the best just in how inventive it is. So Very cool. No, yeah. I saw the the Office Christmas special, which was also incredibly amazing of dealing with killer snowmen. I've never seen anything like that before. But uh, no, I did not see the one with the community. That did sound good. Yeah. I that I don't know why that one's not on streaming cuz I want to watch it, so I might just have to get the discs or something. Hmm. I don't know. Anyhow, let's go ahead and talk about what hit theaters this past weekend. Well, currently the number one movie in America, um, although it, its opening was definitely something of a disappointment. Though, again, I keep saying, eh, you know, it might pick up over the holiday season. The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, coming in at number two. A really disappointing opening for a movie that actually got some really terrible reviews. Uh, of all things, Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp in The Tourist from the director of The Lives of Others. In limited release, you've got David O. Russell's new film, The Fighter, with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg, as well as Amy Adams. And the new film by Julie Tamer, also in limited release, The Tempest, starring Helen Mirren and um, Russell... Peters? I almost said Russell Crowe, but no, no, no. The, the guy from Get Him to the Greek. Russell Brand. Russell Brand, thank you. Absolutely. Can't believe I get him and Russell Crowe mixed up. That's okay, but you, and you saw uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader. I did. I did. Well, well, let's end this real quick just with expanding. Oh, yeah. Sorry, how does it, uh, how does it live up to the other Chronicles of Riddick films? <laughs> it, I think it's probably the weakest one yet, and I, I haven't been crazy about any of them. I think they're all two-star movies across the board. Terrific special effects, really engaging uh, creatures and monsters when it comes to human but, beings. But Vin Diesel as a lead just doesn't do it for you? I liked I liked him as Riddick. I didn't like any of those little kids as the Pavensi kids. I just don't think they're. I think they're really cute. They're cute as a button. They'd be great in a McDonald's commercial, but I don't think they're really necessarily actors. All right then. And then what's expanding this week? So and we then next week, it. yeah, it's uh, Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. All right. So you, is there anything else you wanted to say about Don Treader? Or you kind of no, no. I think I think I said it. You said enough. All right. Black Swan. You've seen it, sir. Well, we we've briefly talked about it. What did you think, Ethan? I thought it was uh, pretty great, mostly thanks to Aronofsky's direction. I kept thinking for the movie how it could have easily just been like a Screen Gems movie starring like someone from Gossip Girl and like Cam Gigandi. But like Aronofsky, he kind of understands how campy the movie is. So he both he plays up the camp and restrains it at the same time and makes it into art. And I think the movie really had me from the opening scene. Just the camera work in that scene was what sold me on the movie, like, completely. And, again, it, it was continued being good for me, like, the first two acts. Like, this is good, this is good. But I thought the third act of the movie was absolutely amazing. And that's what, like, was just like, this movie is awesome for me. So Great. I, yeah. Wow. It's such a good movie. I thought the scene where, um, oh, goodness. I don't know how to quite say this. When, when Natalie Portman's in bed by herself, we'll say, and then she rolls over and sees mom. That was one oh, of the that funniest was, scenes of the year. That was genuinely fun. I can't imagine Aronofsky like doing that without like laughing. Like that had to be funny. <laughs> yes. And I'll mention um, it was actually like it was a pretty packed theater when I saw. I saw it during the day on opening day, so I thought it'd just be a bunch of like 
homeless guys masturbating in garbage bags, but there was like a lot of people there, a mix between like uh, young and old. So actually, I want to mention one thing. Um, I didn't get the Tree of Life trailer though, because you know what happened when I saw this? This is the only time this has ever happened when I've seen a movie outside of a film festival. There were no previews and there were no commercials. Wow, it just went straight into the movie. The lights dimmed and the movie started. It was like, I'm sure the projectionist effed something up, but I'm glad he did. So There you go. That was well, I was going to cool. ask you about that because uh, I have not seen the Tree of Life trail. I don't even know if it's online or, or what the deal is, or if they're waiting to hold on to it until the film expands. Or even if that's true. Like for me, that, that was a rumor. I didn't even hear like from an official source that the Tree of Life trailer was going to get going to get pushed with Black Swan. I mean, do you know for sure? Or? Uh, it was supposed to be, and I saw bootleg online, and oh, wow. it looked pretty awesome. It actually kind of reminded me of Enter the Void. Oh wow! <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Big grin that. on his face. Big grin. Um, wow. I I don't even know where to begin with this movie. You know, Aronofsky's direction is absolutely the center point of piece of it. But I think Natalie Portman left it all in the field, if you will. Pardon the sports analogy, but I, she threw herself into this role wholeheartedly, and, and I think that's that was a, a linchpin of the film. Well, she she was very good at you know being kind of the timid, insecure girl. But there's a moment near the movie where I think she says like, "Now it's my turn." Where I was like totally sold on her. I'm like, "Yeah, give her the Oscar." Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the uh, the dance scene with Vincent Cassell? The 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 scene where he's trying to get her to pretty, loosen up. Pretty sexy. Yeah, and uncomfortable yet at the same time. I yeah, I want to mention Vincent Cassell. I thought was hilarious in this movie. Yeah, like I think this is maybe the least. This is probably like the least subtle film I've seen all year, and I love that about it. <laughs> yeah, it it didn't need to be subtle. I thought Winona Ryder was great. I didn't know it was her till like the second time I saw her on screen. I'm like, that's holy crap. Okay. And um, yeah, Mila Barbara Kunis. Hirsch, yeah, all the supporting roles are good, but the thing is, because they're kind of all more symbols, there's no real complexity to them. But they're all very good, and yeah. uh, they complement Natalie Portman quite well. I found. Yeah. And the music was awesome. That's I was so just next. had that in my head like all day. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting the soundtrack at some point. I have to. Um, did you want to say anything else about it, Barry? Uh, did you guys find the ending a little too pat? I did. I did. It remind, I guess this would be spoilers to even save. Don't you think this movie, like, it reminded me so much of The Wrestler? Like, I think it's an awesome companion piece. It is, like, it, it is, yeah, about the pain and passion that goes into entertainment. Um, or, or basically becoming the role that you're playing on stage. Um, I think it's fair to also compare it to, oh, I, I see, even mentioning the title of this film will be a huge giveaway, so all I will say is it reminds me of another David Fincher film. I think that's, that's you, you probably know one of the oh, David Fincher films. Yeah. It has those I, elements. I want to uh, mention, too, uh, having written, recently written a paper on David Cronenberg, I think, was made me appreciate this movie even more. The idea, you know, metaphor within body horror and whatnot and i think like a lot of people like didn't get the movie like i heard a lot of people coming up being like i didn't get that what happened and it's like such an unsubtle movie that i think it 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 isn't that hard to get i think a lot of people went in this movie for the 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 love scene between natalie portman and mila kunis and for, for all those people if you went for that movie you deserve to be disappointed and confused that's all i can say there's an article i guess in, i'm just saying i I think metaphor just goes over a lot of people's heads these days. Well, a lot of people, like, there's an article in the New Entertainment Weekly about how people didn't get the ending of this film, which I think is pretty ridiculous. How do you... You know. Really? 
Well, I guess, you know, I get, again, I mean, they're expecting showgirls, they're expecting burlesque, they're not expecting an art film, they're not ready to think, or they're not ready to be challenged, but no, it's it's, a, it's both of those things, it's a very challenging film, and the fact that it's so over the top doesn't make it accessible, I mean, this is as an intense experience as the last 10 minutes of Requiem for a Dream, I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty consistently harrowing almost the whole way through, and even the moments of dark humor don't necessarily, like, let the air of the tires. I mean, for me, me, for me, the horror of the film is all the scenes with uh, Natalie Portman, Nina Sayers, alone with her mom. Um, yeah, and I think I mean ultimately as, as brilliant as as Portman is in this film, and I don't want to take away from that because she does deserve the Oscar. But I think this is also Barbara Hershey's movie, and I think the subtleties in her performance and the really sinister insinuations of those scenes are the true horror of this film. I think if you really think about what's going on at that house and why she does not want to be at home alone with her mom, I think that's for me the the more I think some of the more frightening aspects of this movie, and I think it explains uh, why uh, Nina Sayers is going through this mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. I, I will say one of the other funniest scenes was when uh, when Nina went to uh, confront Mila Kunis after their tryst. That was freaking oh, yeah. hilarious. I, yeah. I, I, what, what surprised me was that there were those two incredibly funny scenes put in this incredibly dark movie. I, I don't know. It almost feels like a De Palma film in some ways, too. Definitely. Yeah, it's... it's No, no, I mean... I was say... Good? Go ahead. Polanski. Yeah. Polanski, because yeah, sure. a lot of his movies have really dark humor in them too. So, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you you use the phrase I really like, Ethan. In fact, I was using this phrase in class to discuss this film and parts of uh, the Hutsucker Proxy, the term pure cinema. Um, there are parts of this film where there's there's really no dialogue. You're just kind of taken on a ride that the music, the cinematography, the costumes, the art direction, and the performances are taking you on. And and you know, I mean, I you know. Art is sometimes very disturbing, and you know. But at the same time, even though this movie is truly shocking, it is definitely art more than most films I've seen this year. Yeah, I was in shock after we saw the movie. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you probably picked that up. I was just kind of had no idea what to say, and which is okay. That's uh, good films do that. I mean, yeah. you know, that's I had the same reaction after uh, the Virgin Suicides. I remember just sitting there in the theater, just being kind of like, kind of kind of felt like I'd been slapped <laughs> by someone I loved. And that's what this movie does. I mean, it's Aronofsky, you know, slapping you. But uh, no, th- this is truly art. And, you know, the ending, you know, back to the ending really quickly without giving it away or discussing it, you know, th- the movie insinuates all along where the movie is going. And the ending is inevitable mm-hmm. and the ending had to happen. Um, I still feel like, I don't know, maybe I wanted just a little more. Or maybe it was just a little too abrupt. But, you know, again, I mean, it's, you know, if nothing else, um, I think this is one of the best, if not if not the best film of the year, simply because Aronofsky, the whole way you're going, like, how far is he going to go? And he goes all <laughs> he the does. way. He goes all the way. He could not have possibly have gone further with this movie. Um, are you a little surprised to have seen this have gotten an R rating? Yes, yes. This deserved the NC-17. I don't say that as a slap. I would have been happy with this film being NC-17. Kids should not see this movie. It will scare the living uh, crap out of it. It got the uh, equivalent of PG-13 here in Quebec. That's amazing. <laughs> because, you know, like, you know, I, I totally defend the sex scenes. They're all about character. They're all about this character, you know, basically embracing her wild side. And most of them are masturbation scenes anyway. So, I mean, I think, you know, and there's no nudity for Pete's sake. It, the movie is explicit and erotic, but there's no nudity. So I think the sex scenes are fine. I mean, really, the violence in this movie is horrifying. Um, when she gets that spot in her finger and just kind of... Oh, ah. yeah. Well, without, well, I mean, without spoiling it or even saying what it is, but like Winona Ryder's final scene is hor- horrific. That, yeah. that is one of the most violent things I've seen all year. When she finally breaks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. <laughs> yeah. So no, I mean, so just on a violence level, although this movie is rated R for everything you can think of, <laughs> there's, there's everything. But uh, no, I mean, just in terms of violence, I would say NC-17. 
Yeah. Especially compared to Blue Valentine, although we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, anything else you want to add, Ethan? Um, what snacks did I have during the movie? <laughs> oh, I, did, I had a jelly donut, which was really good, but they're, they're really messy. Like, it looks like... You get that like all over your pants. It looked like I spilled a bunch of cocaine on my pants. It was like I did you it sneak out. that into the theater? Or did they sell it out of the concession? They, yeah, they have a Tim Hortons in the theater. So. Wow, I've never had a jelly donut while watching the movie. I've had a, like I've snuck a whole pizza into a theater, but I've never had a jelly donut. Interesting. All right then, huh? I've snuck in McNuggets and carrot sticks and chocolate, but yeah, jelly donut. What's the weirdest thing you've ever snuck into a theater, Dave? I cocaine i don't know <laughs> cocaine. well you just trumped us man <laughs> there it is oh no no i have no i you it, we have a con it's a common practice for us to go over to burger city right next to the, the yeah the cinemark here and steph just throws it in her bag we take it in and bust it out with our <laughs> burger and fries and we're good to go <laughs> so it must be a pretty big bag because they get the oh yeah bulky burgers in oh yeah there, so. oh yeah that's the only must way be the most it. delicious smelling purse like in the theater it's good thing, oh, yeah. like you don't have like guard dogs around them. they're like <laughs> yeah yeah we got people look around like Man, that smells good, because those guys do good burgers. Anyhow, shall we move on to what's hitting DVD this week? Sure. Uh, this week, let's see, the weekend of the 14th, you've got uh, Despicable Me with a sequel on its way. That's Steve Carell in the uh, lead voice voice performance. I didn't like this movie. A uh, film that I really loved, and I think we, we both were all kind of on agreeing about this one, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell in uh, The Other Guys. Fun, oh, yeah. Fun movie. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> I think that song has made such a comeback. I've been at so many parties and that song is played. It's like amazing. I'm just seriously hoping that the Academy has enough imagination to nominate Pimps Don't Cry for the year's best song. And I want like, yeah. Ava Mendes on stage singing it. I really do. With Will Ferrell in the background doing an interpretive dance. Wouldn't that be just the best Oscars ever? I have to see this movie. Oh, you haven't seen this? What? Oh, dang it, Dave. Now I'm going to. You have to. It's good. It's great. All right. I think one of the best films of the year, one of the biggest surprises, what a great film, The Town, directed directed by and starring Ben Affleck in a triumphant return, also stars uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner is, is incredible in this film. Love that movie. Um, one of the most ridiculously titled, if not one of the most ridiculous films of the year, <laughs> Legend of the Guardians. Uh, Legends, Legends, yeah, Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahooli. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Idiotic. Um, one of the one of the big guilty pleasures of the year. This is a fun movie. This movie was everything it needed to be, and that would uh, definitely be uh, Joe Carnahan's The A Team. What a fun, fun movie that was. It is. Yes. What a what a testosterone weekend. You got other guys, the town, and the A Team, and then next is Twenty Four season. Was that season eight? I think. Yeah, as well yes. as the, the complete series will be coming out as well. Yeah, my gosh. Yeah, this is just the testosterone weekend. Also coming out. Okay, to balance off the testosterone, Nanny McPhee returns. Yippee! Yay, Anime Fee returns. Uh, Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work. I've heard this is one of the best documentaries of the year. I've heard nothing but good stuff about that one. Um, the original True Grit, uh, the John Wayne film that won won the Duke his only Best Actor Academy Award. A very good film, available on Blu-ray. Uh, Mick Max, the new film from the director of Amelie. Is that Jean-Pierre Jeannot, I think? I think so, yeah. I think so. Jeannot? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm the one living in... French Canada. Yes, so. that's right. Yeah, you would know. Chenet. It's just Chenet. Uh One of the best films I've seen this year. I love this film. Cyrus with John uh, John C. Riley and uh, and Marissa Tomei. Love Cyrus. One of the best comedies of the year. Another really great film, man. This is a really good week. Uh, Mother and Child. Terrific. A highly underrated film with uh, Annette Benning, Naomi Watts, and Samuel L. Jackson in a rare dramatic turn. And he's terrific in the film. Uh, Mother and Child. Great film. 
then a film from uh, Alan Rudolph back when he was making a lot of films, not so much anymore, but uh, Trouble in Mind. I think this is the first time it's ever been released on DVD. This is with Divine, the late Divine, as well as Chris Christopherson. Very good film. Um, the IT Crowd, season four. Those of you who like it, rejoice. I, I'm, <laughs> I might give it another shot someday. I'm not a fan. Okay. And then finally, a film that uh, I, th- I think Ethan told me I needed to see this, and, and I've heard it's terrific. I hear it's one of the best films of the year. I really feel like I should see this before I make my list, and that's Exit Through the Gift Shop. Yeah, I think it came out a few weeks ago, because I've seen it in stores. Okay, yeah, we don't get it till Tuesday. Yeah, great movie, though, great movie. Okay. All right, cool. All right, All right. shall we move on to some news? Let's. I got, like, one thing, so... Y'all, no, no, mine's the last oh. one. Oh, okay, you're the last one. What would you guys think of the trailer for Thor? I haven't seen it. I saw the comic conversion and I thought I saw enough. Okay. I think it looks silly, but, uh, you know, um, in a comic booky way. And the fact that it's Kenneth Branagh uh, has me really excited about it because it looks like he really is treating it like it's Shakespeare, which is probably the right approach for this. Um, go ahead. Uh, I'll just repeat what I said earlier when we saw the Comic-Con trailer. The stuff on Asgard looks entertainingly silly, but the stuff on Earth looks like Crocodile Dundee without the raw charisma of Paul Hogan. That's about what I thought when I saw the Comic-Con one, yeah. I think most movies need the raw charisma of Paul Hogan. I would have to agree with you there. I gotta Let me throw this out. I think that after, you know, burning her butt for like a year playing Nina Sayers, I think Natalie Portman is now doing the easy, cheesy, big, big money Hollywood movies because she's got Thor and Your Highness, I'm sorry, Your Highness and that awful looking romantic comedy coming out next month. She's got like these, I bet these are like, she's probably getting paid more money for all these movies than she ever did, like, that she'll ever get paid for Black Swan. I, th- I think it's kind of like the John Cusack model where he'd, you know, do all these big movies and then he'd go do Gross Point Blank. Yeah, dude, well, 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 like, well, or, like Con Air and Must Love Dogs. Yeah, you know, and like, then he'd go be able to do gross point blank or be able to do high fidelity and sure sure yeah I think so anyway yeah so alright so day on the Thor trailer alright uh, well let's see what do you guys think of this one the Transformers 3 Dark of the Moon the initial trailer where it makes a mockery of our moon landing yes <laughs> complete mockery of it <laughs> did you see this Ethan I didn't see it no don't it's a waste of I, time I actually was, I intended to watch it to be honest and I clicked it and the file wasn't loading, and I saw I saw took that as a sign from above that I should not watch it and just never see a single second of footage from this movie ever. And I clicked X. Good man. Never. I wasn't a fan of this trailer at all. It, it reminded me a lot of the Star Trek tr- uh, teaser trailer. Remember the teaser trailer where they were they you know trying to trying to push up the angle of man's flight into space and you know with the imagery of Trek. And I think they were starting trying to do the same thing, make us real nostalgic about the space program. And then Transformers. Yeah, except it's boring. I like I refuse to see this movie. So like the the only thing of it that'll good that thing that'll come out will probably be like Film Junk's review of it. That I'm looking forward <laughs> to. Especially Everything if they get else. read in on it. If they get read in on it, then I'll be happy. Yeah, and I gotta say, just since you mentioned film junk, I love that Frank's on there full time now. Yeah, I love that dude. He's his laugh is so infectious. Yeah, he, he and Greg play off each other quite well. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, yeah. Sorry. Okay, no, 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 no. Uh, Real Steel trailer, which uh, Ethan and I have seen. Yeah, and I, I, and well, I didn't I, see the whole thing. I just clicked it, and I was like, no. you gave up after like twenty seconds in. Yeah. Well, I, I asked beforehand, do I need to watch it beforehand? And Ethan was like, no. I don't think it looks that bad, frankly. I mean, I think it looks much better than Transformers. But, you know, most movies look much better than Transformers. Um, this is probably, I think, a step up for the director of uh, 
gosh, the director of the Pink Panther remakes, um, of those awful Night of the Museum movies, and Date Night. It looks like a serious step up for him. I, how is it a step up? I don't... <laughs> well, like, less, I don't under, like, it's less still actors a soulless Hollywood movie. Like, I don't see the step up. This could work. Sorry. This could work. You got a really great actor at the center of it. The special effects, the, what they need to be. I mean, it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie. It could work. How uh, is that any different than Night at the Museum? Night at the Museum, you waste some of the greatest actors alive in roles where there is nothing to do, special effects that are uninspired. And I'm sure this movie will do this. I'm sure this movie will do the same thing. It'll waste Hugh Jackman and whoever else is in it. I'm just saying. It's like I don't see how this is any different. Well, we'll see. <laughs> All right then. Don't hold back. Just, just don't hold back. <clears throat> uh, Blue Valentine. <clears throat> uh, the rating has been uh, surrendered to rated R. And they didn't change a darn thing. Oh, really? That's what I understand. <laughs> That's yeah, great. they, they, they stuck to their guns. Didn't change. I, uh, I read that Weinstein, like he personally, he went and like personally argued with the MPAA, which is I think is pretty cool on his part. Yeah. It's strange. It's just it's interesting that they. I mean, I'm glad they did it. No question. I'm glad the film is rated R. It's just it's interesting that so much went into this because they've they have embraced the NC-17 before in the past and they have you know given into the NC-17. And there's certain films in their in their library that are still unrated. So it yeah, it's funny that like all this trouble for this particular film. But I'm I'm glad it went through and I'm glad more people are going to be able to see this film now and that it's actually going to get the release it deserves because this is a fantastic film. Oh, that looks cool. What looks cool? A Tron motorcycle helmet. Sorry. Okay. Would you be seen on a motorcycle though with that Tron motorcycle? You'd have to have the full jacket and everything. <laughs> and then I you're only admit, too close to Tron I, guy. Do you know anyone who like rides motorcycles? I know one guy, and he would never. Yeah. For I know one guy as well, and no. Yeah, it'd be a black. It would have to be a black motorcycle helmet or or none at all. All right then. Yeah. Um, all right, my last news story, and I don't even know if I want to bring this up because this is a movie I'm looking forward to seeing, the new James L. Brooks films. But uh, there was a story that was kind of a kind of an unnice gossip thing that kind of leaked, and uh, and the Hollywood Reporter ran with it. The news that how do you know the new film, even though it's a little low key romantic comedy, the budget for the film is 150 million because the actors and the talent got paid so much. Apparently, Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, got paid about 15 million. Um, and I think um, Reese Witherspoon got paid about the same amount. Paul Rudd at $3 million was actually the, the least expensive of the cast, but Owen Wilson and, uh, and, and James O'Brooks himself got paid a lot of money. So the film you know, was, was well into like 50, $50 $60 million just in terms of cast, and that's before they even start making the film and pr- promoting the film. So it's, it's actually currently one of the most expensive films of the year, like right by Tron Legacy. I What's like – why was I like – I heard myself. I don't know. Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, I, I think stuff like this is just like just so irresponsible. Like it, it's why movies like this are not getting made anymore. Like I think actors, if they want, if they want every movie to not just be made for twelve-year-olds, actors are going to have to start taking pay cuts. Well, it's worth noting that Black Swan cost thirteen million dollars. Thirteen wow. million. And it's it's all there on the screen. It's a it's a beautiful film. It is clearly an expensive film, but it, it you know, and it looks. I mean, if if we had heard a figure like yeah, it costs you know sixty seventy million, I think we would believe that. But thirteen million dollars for that film, and obviously the actors did it as a labor of love. Obviously, Natalie Portman's not making a cent on that movie like she would on one of the Star Wars prequels. 
Yeah, so. but she's also getting all kinds of. She's going to get. She's getting Oscar buzz. It bumps up her profile. She'll make more in the long run too. Oh no, 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 no question. I mean, this is like one of the best career decisions she ever made. But this is clearly a movie that she did. You know, even if no one saw the film, she did this just to. You know, she's doing it for the art. Yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're doing a movie for fifteen million dollars, and it doesn't, you know, even. I mean, you know, how do how do you know? Which could be a good film, could be a bad film, but like, you know, when you're being overpaid for something like that, it's like it's it's a tricky business because. You, you know, like it's a it's a matter of clout, obviously. You know, and a lot of these actors, you know, that is their that's their paycheck price. You know, that is that's like the dollar sign above them. But they will do little films, they will do art movies. You know, Nicolas Cage will work for Peanuts to work with with Werner Herzog, but he'll definitely go back to his twenty million if he's going to do The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So it's like this, you know, it's it's almost, it's a very political thing in Hollywood. But uh, yeah, just well, I, I think how do you know? To be honest, shouldn't outside the actors, it shouldn't cost like seventy million dollars or whatever. Like a movie like that, right? But but then it's like this weird question of like, how do you put a price on art? Because I, I remember having this argument years what? ago. Like like I honestly think the best thing that Cameron Diaz ever did was being John Malkovich, and she got paid nothing for that movie. She was paid twenty, I think twenty five million for the Charlie's Angel sequel, which is a quote unquote performance that I I didn't think was especially good. But like, but then again, like, who am I to be such a snob to go like, well, you know, maybe she deserved twenty five million for for Malkovich. We barely even see her face half the movie. She's covered in makeup, as opposed to Charlie's Angels, where she does all that working out and stuff. But you know, it's more of an appearance than a performance. Yeah. Again, I'm not an accountant, but I just think when I hear things like these, it just strikes me as irresponsible. I don't know. That's just money that could be spent on like. AIDS research or something. <laughs> Not to mention the deficit or you know other things we could put $150 million towards. I'm glad that James O. Brooks is making his new movie, and I'm certainly not going to hold it against this film, but that article was, uh, it was certainly hurtful to that film, which otherwise I think you know had nothing but prestige attached to it. Yeah, it seemed like a hatchet piece, honestly. It really did. Yeah, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> no, no, not yeah. at all. I wouldn't be surprised if a rival studio put that together. Um, and then finally, sorry, I, I was hoping that would lead us into a to a discussion. Clearly, we're just like, eh. Um, I, I got to say, uh, this is like, for me, the Christmas gift of the year, knowing that The Tree of Life is opening up May 27, 2011. I've been waiting a very long time for this. Um, apparently, it's going to open at the Cannes Film Festival, or at least play at the Cannes Film Festival. We actually have pictures. There is rumor to be a trailer that exists that we'll finally get to see. Um, this is... For for me, I haven't waited this long for a movie since Eyes Wide Shut, and I cannot wait to see this film. Cool, right on. You got one thing, right, Ethan? Yeah, apparently the Wachowski brothers are just the Wachowskis, developing... isn't it now? Pardon me? Isn't it just the Wachowskis now? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Larry and Lena, Lana, yeah, is something that? like that. Yeah, Linda, Larry and Linda. They are uh, developing an urban reimagining of Robin Hood called Hood. I mean, this is weird, you know, coming, since we just came off a Robin Hood movie that was loved by critics and audiences alike and such a huge hit and a front runner for the Best Picture Oscar at the moment. Like, Have you seen Wachowski's it yet? Move Out of Town. Have you seen it yet? No. Okay, just decided to ask. Man, our sarcasm meter just broke over here. <laughs> and for you listeners who uh, who uh, are just tuning in for the first time to ScreenGeeks.com, uh, when, when Ethan said, uh, beloved by critics and audiences worldwide, um, he meant me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have two pieces of news, actually. I found the other one I wanted to talk about. It's more of Dave Gets to Rant time. Oh, anything else? Well, that's always fun. Yeah, it totally what you is. Uh, you know, Blockbuster's been doing these kiosks thing. They're trying to catch up with Redbox, you know, five years too late. <laughs> and 
And, and so, you know, what better way to try to, to compete with the people who are giving you movies for a dollar a night than to do your new releases for $3 a night? Oh, that's not smart. It's because they have the release window. They get the 28 days of, or 30 days or whatever that they have it exclusively. $3 a night, seriously? They're still that, doing that. Aren't, aren't they going out of business? Uh, it can't happen soon that- enough for me. A student of mine explained this to me because I asked her because she said she was going to get a job working there. I'm like, are they still around? She's like, well, they're going out of business. They're dying, but they're still around. So it's like, you know, it's like, you know. Getting, trying to stave off the Grim Reaper as long as they can. Yeah, it's like getting a job at Enron at this point or something. You know, it's like, well, you know, you can get a job as a janitor at Enron. You know, just don't expect to like, you know. It's like when I worked at Hollywood Video for like a month and then right. like when I quit like a month later, we're going out of business. You right. worked that place though, man, because you were like you were you were you were uh, doing the free the free rentals and stuff. And no, you you definitely made made good use of that. You were you were turning audiences on to good movies. Yeah. I remember you telling me stories about working there. That like, man, that is a good use of a corporate video. Yeah, when story. someone came up with the happening, I'm like, no, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. You protected them from stuff. And I remember you telling me about like like good movies you steered them onto. I mean, that's cool because like guys like you are the reason people used to love going to video stores. And like they don't, you know, there's a reason I only worked there a month. So yeah, okay. I was at my favorite video store recently and. There, it's a really cool place, but Vampire Suck was playing, and it was just like, Ooh. what's going on? What's going on? Ooh. You think maybe they put it on for irony's sake? Maybe, but it was like all the old guys working there, and aren't usually when you like you turn like thirty or something, you're kind of like out of that ironic phase. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I remember going to a video store on Maui when I was a kid, and some guy put on The Witches of Eastwick, which was just a awesomely inappropriate movie to have on like during family hours so i forgot did we talk about the beaver trailer no we did not talk about the beaver trailer <laughs> oh yeah let's talk about the beaver trailer yeah absolutely i i uh, i was very happy with this trailer i mean I, i'll just reiterate what i what i told ethan when i, I wrote him back and because very kind of ethan to just put it on my page I'm like oh sweet good morning merry christmas um I think it was having the beaver sound like Timothy Spall. I thought it was kind of an odd idea to have him, you know, the voice was a little little surprising. I but. thought it was uh, more like Ray Winstone, personally. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, which would make sense since Mel just worked with him on Edge of Darkness. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from that, cause just because just that was so surprising, I've seen the trailer a few times, and, you know, I know, Ethan, you've indicated that uh, the film definitely is much darker than even the trailer is indicating, and, uh, I, I, I still can't wait to see this thing. Even if it's a total disaster, I cannot wait to see it. Totally. Yeah, I didn't know what, I, yeah, what to expect. I, I, I want to see the movie, but I thought the trailer looked pretty middle of the road. And, eh. and Anton Helchin, El, Yelchin's hair in it was eh. <laughs> well, don't you think it seems like they found a really mainstream way to promote this They're movie? They're trying which to is, promote it as a feel-good movie. Which, let's face it, this is not going to be anywhere near that. I yeah. mean, you know, I, this is probably going to end up being a cult film, if anything. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they were trying to. Oh, it's going to be a feel-good movie for the whenever it comes out, and I'm like, it's not there, but I can't wait to see it for that reason. So. Yeah, clearly well, the movie is not going to end with them on a roller coaster going, "Yay, life!" It's obviously not going to end like that. <laughs> well, do you think that the fact though that clearly Mel is playing a lunatic will make it more palpable for yes. mainstream audiences? I could put yeah, like watching it's like the very tone of the trailer is very mocking of his character, whether it, it means to mock Mel or not, who knows? But like, yeah, I think. The trailer knows who the star of the movie is, and I think that's like one of the cleverest things about it. Like they're really, they're like, well, if you don't like Mel Gibson, well, you're not gonna like him in this movie. But wait till you see what happens. So, there's some people who are like, 
Well, I, I'm pretty. No, you. I keep interrupting you. you no, finish. it's okay. It's okay. There are people who are wondering his whole going off on the voicemail thing. They're like, "Do you think it was just really good viral marketing for this no, movie?" No, no. <laughs> that's a ter- That's so. Commit career suicide. Promote your movie. No, 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 no. Maybe I, it's like I'm not racist. The, the Bieber is just racist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, he's not. Uh, this is not Joaquin Phoenix again. No. Uh, I'm very curious though. I really hope I see this trailer with an audience sometime soon though. I'm very curious to see, just like when his face appears on screen, if there's like a big, (gasps) well, this is a summit film. So I wonder if like this trailer is going to be like when, when eclipse comes on DVD or is it out? Oh, it is out. Okay. never mind. I'm trying to think like what the next summit movie is. Yeah, You you know, I tried to watch, um, new moon with riff tracks track this weekend and I got about 15 minutes into it. And I, even with the riff tracks that, that, that's some garbage there. (laughs) You really? Oh, you couldn't even watch it with the riff tracks. No, wow, no. they weren't like they, they weren't like diluting it enough for you. No, no, no. I, and they couldn't make it. They didn't make enough jokes about Taylor Lautner being gay because it's pretty obvious. So yeah, okay. Everyone, when he's trying to like hit on Bell at the beginning, I got you a present. He's like, I got you a present. Like totally not selling it at all. So yeah. No, I, I well, yeah. I'm not going to argue with you, David. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the three leads in that cast were all gay. I mean, I, that's, there you go. I've there always you go. said the suspect, you know, and again, like that's, that's not nothing a, wrong with it. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Just. But, but you know, it, it is kind of funny that they're all supposed to be these, these romantic leads and they have no chemistry with each other. And, you know, like, no. but if it were about like Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lautner, like, you know, fighting for each other and she was like the one in the middle, <laughs> seriously, wouldn't that make more sense? That would be a better movie. It'd be more interesting. It would make you know make sure make the werewolf vampire thing more interesting. I mean, seriously, <laughs> that's the movie I want to see. Don't you think? Because this whole crap about like I love her, no, I love her. No, no, it should be like I, I love you, no, I love you. Stop it, guys. I mean that that's the movie right there. I'm standing here. I'm over here. Seriously, that is the movie. And I think that that would have made that tense scene in the second was the second one. Yeah, uh, no, the third one. The tense scene in the third one I think would have made a lot more sense if it was like. You know, having the two of them like taking off their shirts and like having a hot off, so and doing a broke back scene, yeah, yeah. Clearly, I have a very different vision of of the Twilight universe than <laughs> Stephanie Meyer, but yes. seriously, I think that would make it a better film, and I think it would be a little more honest because I agree with you. I think those actors, you know, whether just because they're such bad actors or not, I think they have more chemistry for each other than they do for for Bella. <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't mean to derail us there. Sorry, no, I, I take full responsibility for you that. You know, well, it, it's fitting that we're laughing because we lost one of the. The great comedic icons of our time. Yeah. Who didn't even, who stumbled into it really. Yeah. Um, Leslie Nielsen passed away while we were on our little height, our first hiatus. And I was so bummed, but it's like, you know, the man had such, he's had essentially two full careers. So I, I, I don't, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Well, yeah, go ahead. I remember seeing him in the Poseidon Adventure and I was like, there, there was a part of his career where he wasn't in comedies. Yeah, it's it was pretty much until Airplane. Until the 80s, yeah. Yeah, this is a guy who like was making, he was the leading man in the Forbidden Planet and all these films. And the, you know, he did, he, he did some B films and whatnot, but he did Romantic Leading Men. I mean, in 1987, the year before he did, before he played Frank Drebin in the film, uh, The Naked Gun, I mean, he was Barbara Streisand's rapist attacker in Nuts. And that's a dark. It's a dark movie, and it's a dark performance. Wow. Um, no, I mean this guy was incredible. I mean he's he's he did musicals, he did horror films. I mean he's he literally did every genre of film. And you're absolutely right, Ethan. Like he uh, 
you know, like he just stumbled onto it just because like, you know, he, you know, he hadn't worked for a while and like, you and know, the suckers approached the suck- him. Yeah. And so like, you know, how about we just play on your persona as a guy who would appear in a movie like airplane. So we'll do, you know, and yeah, just gave him a completely second career. He did, um, the very short lived TV show police squad where he first introduced Lieutenant Frank Drebin. That was a great series. Only a few episodes of which exist, but then they just as a, as a total goof, almost like uh, the love for serenity, like they made this spin-off movie, The Naked Gun. Just maybe, maybe people will come, maybe they won't. And not only is it a classic comedy, I mean it's still the funniest movie I've ever seen, and it's the funniest movie I think I've I've ever seen in a theater. And uh, even when the movies weren't good, even when it was Dracula dead and loving it, you know, which let's face it, like like uh, Nielsen's one of the best things about that film. But I, I've got to disagree there. But, uh, <laughs> but okay, yeah. well, that's fine. Well, you know, a lot of them were hot and cold. And let's yeah. face it, there were more movies like Spy Hard than there were like the Naked Gun films. But, I mean, he had this whole career. I mean, he pegged that genre and he was the face of that. So, like, even having him in your movie, like having him in Scary Movie 3, like, gave that movie, like, you know, like street cred for, for comic fans. Yeah, yeah. And I think when he was always his strongest was when he was being incredibly funny with a complete straight, straight face and selling it. Oh, he's he never king, broke. King of deadpan, When absolutely. he broke, like in Dracula, he, I think he broke that, that a bit. And that's when I think he kind of lost some of the magic. But when he, when, he was a, when he was the straight man and the funny man at the same time, it never got better, I don't think. Yeah. Well, that was a, you know, that was a, it was a weak Mel Brooks film, though. Yeah. You know, like, like there's a lot of good things in that movie, but there's a lot of stuff in that movie that didn't really connect. Yeah. Uh, I feel really bad because, like, growing up, that was, like, how I knew Leslie Nielsen. That Same was here. like Dracula dead and loving it. It's like that is top of the line, Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> no, the Naked Gun films. I mean, the and the and second airplane and I mean, an airplane. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love the second uh, him in the second Naked Gun film where he's doing the the riff on Ghost with Patricia with Priscilla Presley. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. No, he. He was he was really wonderful at what he did. He, but like, if you go back and look at those dramatic performances, they're absolutely solid. I mean, this yeah. is a guy who just completely reinvented himself. He I mean, he really was like a forerunner to William Shatner doing that kind of thing. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Except I'd say it's a stronger actor all the way around. But yes, yes. Yeah. So he will be missed. Um, I think yeah. I'll know we should probably go ahead and take a break, yeah. and uh, we will be right back. Hey Tom, great game. Yeah, Phil. That was a close one. Are you okay, man? You seem a little distant today. I'm fine. Really? It's nothing. Just just some guys at work. What's up? I just feel out of my depth sometimes. They have all these deep discussions about the meaning of life, destiny, philosophy, and all I can offer is the last movie I saw. Hey, man, you know what? I used to be just like you. You? No way. Yes way, Phil. For years, I felt inadequate, shallow, and unable to join in the big conversations. What happened? I found movie mantras. Movie mantras? Is that some kind of cream? No, my friend. It's a weekly podcast by some British guy that takes quotes from films and weaves them into usable wisdom. It totally changed my life. Sounds perfect, but I bet it's expensive. Well, the show offers a guarantee to turn you into a deep thinker capable of achieving all of your life goals or your money back. Fantastic. But the best part is that it's completely free. Oh, my God. That's right. So go to www.moviemantras.com, and in a few weeks, you'll feel just like Yoda, only better looking. I'll go right now. They have Wi-Fi in this gym. What was it again? www.moviemantras.com? That's right. Movie Mantras. Shaves as close as a blade, 
or your money back. Hey, this is Corin Nemec, and you have tuned in to ScreenGeeks.com. Just because they're geeks does not mean that they're not cool. doesn't mean they are cool either, but, you know, it's left up to your imagination. And we're back talking to, uh, not talking to, I wish we were talking to him. No, we're talking about one of the most important Australian filmmakers, that is Peter Weir. Um, this is a filmmaker who has a really, really amazing touch with actors. This is a guy who has brought out some of the best work in actors, uh, actors ranging from Robin Williams to Harrison Ford to Jim Carrey, as well as uh, really early films that really established uh, Mel Gibson is more than simply just a sex symbol. Um, yeah, this is incredibly versatile and brilliant, brilliant, very lyrical uh, filmmaker, someone who is really, really sensitive to the human condition. And uh, some of his best films even have like a, like a Terrence Malick feel to them. They're incredibly... Uh, just incredibly rich in their imagery and also their thematic content. Um, let's see. I think the first film, you know, the first film of his that I was aware of was uh, oddly one of his earliest movies called The Cars That Ate People. Um, this is actually this is actually not a horror film. It's actually really? uh, yeah yeah Marty actually explained this to me because he's seen it. I've never seen it, but I understand it's actually the title is the title is incredibly thematic. Even though the, the poster for this movie shows a car with teeth, but. Yeah, it's actually not like Christine or okay. Maximum Overdrive, even though that's the way they promoted the film. So, but uh, no, I guess we could talk about Picnic at Hanging Rock. Is the, the film that really put him on the map? And what year was that? That's nineteen seventy-five. Seventy-five. Yeah, seventy-five. Yeah, this is uh, of course based on a true story of uh, Innocence Lost. This is the movie, of course, that inspired uh, uh, Sofia Coppola in a lot of ways when she did The Virgin Suicides, about a trio of uh, young women who uh, go for a walk in the woods and never return. Um, yeah, I really love this film. I thought it was uh, very haunting and very, uh, very eerie. I'll get through it at some point. <laughs> I couldn't get past like the first like ten fifteen minutes where where it, like was something out of a Jane Austen novel, or like waiting in line at a Twilight film. Yeah, I just someday you shall be in love. I I I know there's a good movie in there. I've read enough about it, but I just <laughs> I couldn't get there. I'm I'm gonna try. I'm gonna keep trying, but okay, it wasn't there yet. Did you watch this, Ethan? Uh, being that I suggested this be the topic, I did a great job of only watching one Peter Weir film in the was it three weeks. It was Witness. Oh, okay. I mean, I've seen a bunch of his other movies, but still, I'm, there's going to be a few ones here I'm not going to have anything to say. You know, Ethan, that's fine, because we're, we're kind of similar here. There's actually a few that I'm kind of embarrassed I haven't seen. I still haven't seen Master and Commander, but we'll get to that. So, yeah, so it's okay. We're, we're all kind of like, kind of loopy about this one. Um, let's see, uh... Sorry. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't be looking over your shoulder. I should have just done, done notes in this. That's okay. Uh, um, is that the next one, probably? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Gallipoli. Uh, he did two films back to back starring Mel Gibson. Of course, this is Gibson right after he worked with George Miller as Mad Max. Um, and I think at the, at the point where he had done Mad Max, he was kind of establishing himself again as this, you know, kind of a sex symbol, kind of as an action star. And, you know, even with his really striking blue eyes and whatnot, Mel Gibson really wasn't looking like he was an actor, but more of like, you know, a really arresting and original new movie star. And then he does Gallipoli and The Year of Living Dangerously, both uh, two, two very politically charged and really interesting films uh, that showed a different side to him. Um, it's been so long since I've seen Gallipoli. Year of Living Dangerously, honestly, what I always remember about the film is Linda Hunt because she won the Academy Award for playing a man in that movie. Um, and a little man at that, and she's incredible in that movie. And Sigourney Weaver is also wonderful in that film too. But uh, it's been, I think, the '80s or the '90s since I've seen both of those films. Uh, Ethan, do you care to chime in on, on these films? I've seen Gallipoli, and uh, the thing that it, from it, that will always stick with me is the final shot. Does that has that stayed with you? Yes. Yeah, that's just what I when I think of the movie. That's what I think of, and 
yeah, years since I've seen it, but that will always stick with me. So, yeah, good other stuff. than that, I don't remember that much. Okay, well, you the know, Gibber, it... the Gibber was a uh, Gibber was decent in it. The Gibber, the Gibber. I like that nickname. All right, well, now we're getting into the to the to the. Now we're going to stop looking like a bunch of lazy, <laughs> lazy podcast runners over here. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> all right, we've all seen Witness. Um, this is the yes. film that was up for Best Picture. It lost. Um, let's see, 85. So it lost to Out of Africa. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't get it either. <laughs> um, but yeah, Witness uh, was the first film, and it's been the only film that Harrison Ford was ever up for for Best Actor. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting year that year. It was Witness. It was Out of Africa. It was Kiss of the Spider Woman. Brazil not nominated. <laughs> Jerks. Um, but uh, just one of the ju- just when the guys came out the year too, right? I think you're right. I think it was '85. Yeah. <laughs> Robbed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but uh, Witness kind of established uh, Peter Weir's presence in the American uh, American film uh, American filmmakers. Um, Witness is one of these movies that in the wrong hands. Could have been terrible. This is high. This is a high concept movie about a it cop is. who goes undercover in the Amish community to solve a murder. I mean that that right there sounds like a bad Clint Eastwood movie, you know. But uh, instead, <laughs> Weir has to this date made the only American movie I think that offers uh, a rich and complex and layered depiction of the Amish. I was going to say what I remember most about it is just how tenderly or or honestly he wanted to deal with it he didn't know pot shots anything like that it's we want to make the most honest depiction we can yeah i would use both of those words to describe that absolutely i mean there's a scene in this film that has nothing to do with the story but everything to do with john book that's the name of the harrison ford character um john book's journey into the world and basically immersing himself in into this into this world that he's in there's a scene where it's basically raising a barn and it's like it's so beautiful and it's so poetic and it's it's just a, it's like I can't believe this movie started off as this gritty cop drama and all of a sudden we're in this completely different world. Um, I don't think Kelly McGillis has ever been better than her work in this. You know, I like Top Gun, but let's face it, she is she's great in Witness, and so is Alexander Goodenough, of course, who played the bad blonde guy, the blonde bad guy in Die Hard. Um, he's wonderful in this. Lucas Haas, wonderful young child performance in, in Witness. Yep. Um, I think this is a perfect young Vig- young Viggo Mortensen too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love this film because even when it does go back to being a cop movie, it doesn't feel contrived, and you really do sense the danger. The danger feels very palpable. I thought that Danny Glover and Brian, I think Brian Dennehy, um, I thought they were very good playing the villains here, and the way the two worlds eventually immerse in the end of the film. I mean, yes, it's it's a formulaic showdown, but I thought really well done. Um, the scene where where John Book, Harrison Ford's character, and McGillis have that dancing where they're dancing in the barn together in the scene. I think um, Ford is so good in this film, and I think it really does show you know kind of his progression as an actor more than a lot of films, especially when we look to the next film that he did with Weir. Um, I think, you know, again, Weir just somehow was able to tap into what Ford had that, let's face it, George Lucas was never going to do. And <laughs> and let's face it, Indiana Jones, you know, Indiana Jones is a terrific character, but, you know, because that character is very introverted, you know, we kind of have to discover the, the different nuances to that character through Ford. This is a character where, you know, the character starts very, you know, uh, clammed up and, you know, very much like, you know, living the role as a cop. You know, he is his job. But then when he's in the Amish community, he kind of discovers what it is in, li- what it is in life that he wants to live for. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, I actually liked about his performance. I actually thought he was incredibly just funny and like yeah. charismatic in it. There's this scene where he early in the movie where he's eating hot dogs and the look on his face is just so funny. Like I could not stop laughing at the facial expressions he was making. It was pretty good. 
Um, and a scene from this movie I want to mention, I think this is a very Hollywood movie, but there's a scene that I thought was really good where, you know, the scene where uh, there's kind of those those guys are teasing all the Amish people and yes. uh, Harrison yes. Ford punches the guy out. I thought what was good about the scene is they actually showed that guy bleeding and showing that there's repercussions yes. to that violence. Mm-hmm. It's not just a movie star moment, really, which I, I thought was very smart on the film's part. You're absolutely right, and I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's basically the theme of this whole film, that, you know, of, of whether violence is a, is, a, is a necessity in life. And, of course, the Amish saying that you know, it is completely unnecessary, and the fact that they even have someone living in their community with a gun is a big issue. And no, no, you're absolutely right. That's one of the keys to this film, the repercussions of violence and uh, you know, whether, uh, whether you can exist without violence. Um, one of my favorite, just to go back to kind of what you're saying, like our favorite moments, uh, a part of this movie I always loved because it's such a story-heavy moment, and there's no dialogue. Is the scene where Lucas Haas is just wandering around the police department, and he sees the picture on the wall, and Ford gravitates towards the kid, and he realizes exactly what's going on and how how it's a, you know an inside job. And I love the scene because it's 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 such a plot-heavy scene, and it's like normally you would have like two pages of dialogue explaining it to death, but just by the use of the cinematography and the actors and the music, it's it's like everything you need to know is right there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, great film. Um, unfortunately, the next film that Ford did with, with Weir was not as successful. And I don't mean that in terms of uh, artistically. I think it's a great film. But The Mosquito Coast, I mean, let's face it, Paul Thoreau's book is a tough one um, about a man who basically goes in the jungle, tries to make things better for the people around him, creates a snow machine, and you know tries to keep his family together and basically starts to slowly go nuts. I think the character's name is Ali Fox, I think. Um, is that it? Yeah. Anyway, um, this is uh, this is arguably this is another one of these films where you could you can make a really solid argument. Yeah, Ali Fox, you can make a pretty solid argument that it's the best thing that that Harrison Ford has ever done as an actor. His performance in in Mosquito Coast is incredible, but uh, probably one of the reasons the film was unsuccessful and the reason a lot of people have not embraced this film is because his character is so unlikable and so unsympathetic and so complex and so dark, and the film itself is so like un Hollywood. Uh, yeah, people completely gave up on this film there was a period where ford was trying to do a lot of dramas like he did uh, a film with polanski called frantic nobody went and saw that even though it's a very good film um you know other than like his forays into comedy like uh, like sabrina and working girl like people don't usually go to harrison ford movies unless he's doing the typical harrison ford role like hence you know the reason morning glory isn't doing any isn't that's doing true because well, he's know? not doing the normal old, yeah i'm the suave leading man yeah he's charming well, did, did you guys see him on conan recently no I'd like to. He was like tripping on acid. I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> there you go. Did you like the Mosquito Coast, Ethan? Yeah, it's it's a. I talked about it like a month ago or so. Yeah, it's a really strong movie, and like I said, his character is pretty fascinating, and uh, the relationship he has with River Phoenix in particular, I just kept me interested throughout the movie. And uh, even though uh, Helen Mirren is in it playing the wife, and her character is pretty just kind of there but again the father-son relationship is really what i found engaging about this film okay yeah i I completely agree it's funny to think that phoenix basically created his impersonation of ford that he did so brilliantly in the opening scenes of last crusade just from working with ford but it really is such a wonderful deadpan impression and he obviously got that from working in the jungle with ford for all those weeks 
Um, all right, following the Mosquito Coast, which, as I said, was not a successful film. Um, you've got, uh, yeah, one of the most successful films we ever did, and I think it's a wonderful film, even though my feelings towards it have kind of altered over the years. That's Dead Poet Society. I'd say it's fair to say that this was, this shaped a generation. I think it's pretty fair to say, because I know a lot of kids who, when this came out, I mean, for the 10 years after it came out, everyone was talking about this movie because it's such a phenomenal film. It's a, it's a, it's a surprising film, especially when you consider that, you know, Williams, I mean, his career started with Popeye. <laughs> and, and, you know, that that's exactly as dreadful as it sounds. I mean, his career started with Popeye. He was in all these really bad movies that just were not doing well. Or, like, movies like Moscow and the Hudson, which is great, but nobody saw. And then he did Good Morning Vietnam, which completely played to his strengths. That's a good film. Um, and then he does this film, which, like, I mean, Dead Poet Society are three words more like, like... <laughs> Like, wow, people are going to rush to see Dead Poet Society. Oh, yeah. And the movie was promoted as kind of a comedy from the trailers, but it's not a comedy. No. And surprise, surprise, instead of, like, people turning their backs on this thing, I mean, it, it became one of the biggest hits of the year, as, you, as you're absolutely right, Dave. I mean, I mean, people love this film. It's considered one of the best films ever made about a teacher-student relationship. Um, I see this film, and I there are aspects of it I think are contrived, but you know what? It, it, it's a poetic film. It's a beautiful yes. film, and Williams is perfect in that role. And for the, so for that matter, I mean, you, you can't discredit uh, what Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard bring to their roles. I think mean, they're just so moving, especially Ethan Hawke is so good in this movie. And this is, of course, the movie that, you know, he's probably, was probably his breakthrough role. Absolutely. And Robert Sean Leonard, I mean, I know he's on House now, but as that character, I mean, he was just... Oh, he's great. great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. No, I really like uh, the arrogance he brings to the role. And, you know, and, and it's it really is tragic, ultimately, what happens to his character. And the way the movie, the way that scene happens in question, I won't ruin it if you haven't seen yeah. it, but the that scene is also, I think, a really, a, it's done very poetically, very quietly, and very respectfully, whereas most sequences, I mean, most movies would make it, you know, like this, like a, like a sequence or, you know. Absolutely. And, and here's the funny thing. I mean, if you want, just as an example for just how, much of a long life this film has had. Mr. Holland's Opus came out six years later. Everyone And everyone that I talked to when this came out was, well, they're ripping off Dead Poet Society. And the movie's six years old. Mm-hmm. But And, I mean, I think it's a fair comparison, but still, the fact sure. that it, it was still in the American consciousness that well, that far out from when it was released. No, you're Wasn't there some yeah. movie with Kevin Klein that was basically yes. the same thing? The Emperor's too? Club, which is also very similar. Oh, and I've heard it's dumb. I've heard it's nowhere near as good. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, that was the other one, yeah. Yeah, it seems like like this type of movie died off, and then it became like everything was like the Teacher in the Hood movies, you know? Yeah. Like you had like years of Teacher in the Hood movies, and it's been a while since we've actually had a movie like this where like, uh, you know, it's generally about a teacher who loves his students and is trying to inspire them. You know, now it's always got to be like, you know, the kids are all strapped and, you know, yeah, but shoot it, their teacher. It's funny, you know, you bring up The Emperor's Club. That came out 13 years after Dead yeah. Poet Society, and everyone still called it a ripoff. Well, same thing with uh, School Ties, which came out a few years later, which I think is probably the best thing that, that Brendan Fraser ever did. And it was uh, Matt yep. Damon's big breakthrough. And that's a very good film, but, you know, it's not Dead Poet Society. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was whose breakthrough? Matt Damon. Oh yeah, man, you were quick with that. I got to see him in press day. That was great. That was some quick draw action over there. All right, what did he do next? Was it? Are we on Truman now? Oh no, all oh, green card. God. <laughs> yeah. Back to Gerard Depardieu. 
<laughs> Gerard Butler's yes. first film. You know what? No, well, actually, is 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 uh, it was one of his first American movies because like you know he was like the De Niro of France, and then he came over here and like did all these crappy movies for us. You know, what, you know, I love Disney because like Disney, like what they what they used to do was like they'd hire all these actors who hadn't done hadn't had hits in years, like Richard Dreyfuss and Bette Midler and Danny DeVito, and they put them in all these great comedy vehicles, so they're great for them, you know. But like with Depardieu, like we took this guy who like was really incredible in France, and then we put him in Green Card and My Father the Hero and 102 Dalmatians, like all these really crappy movies. All I'll say about Green Card is I saw this movie on an airplane, all right? It's it's that kind of movie. It's an airplane movie. It's like I remember the music being very lovely and, you know, and Andy McDowell is really easy on the eyes, but completely generic romantic comedy. Uh, she's pretending that he's getting his green card so that he can live in America. There's this scene where – he uh, he's pretending to you know be a great pianist, so he sits down at the piano and he does like a terrible job. You know, it's really just it was like a sitcom. They actually um, make a green card joke in the first episode of Spaced. Really? Yeah, when they're faking all the pictures together, and they're like, "This is just like that movie with Andy McDowell and Gerard Padu," and he's trying to get that thing, um, that, that that American work permit. Oh, green card? Yeah. What's it called? I have no idea. You know, because they don't know what a green card actually is. <laughs> That's true. Sorry. Did you have anything to say about green card or? I think you've said. I that wish I'd seen it. Okay. I wish I'd seen you it. You didn't miss much. It's a, I think. It, oh, look, Ethan Phillips is in it, huh? Yeah, we know Ethan Phillips. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I probably should give this movie another shake, maybe like down the road, but I don't remember anything about it that I thought was remarkable or worthwhile. All right, um, let's move on to this one. This I want to talk about because this is a very underrated film, and that's Fearless. Um, this is another one of these movies where people were saying, you know. Jeff Bridges, one of the most underrated actors of all time. Why is he not up for an Academy Award? I think Rosie Perez was up for an Oscar for her work in this movie, and she is fantastic in this film. Um, this is a movie about a guy who survives a plane crash and basically walks away from the plane crash in this zen-like trance. And from that point on, he has no fear in his life, but he also has a real disconnection with life, so he basically has to learn how to basically immerse himself back in society. Um, this has got a heck of a cast in it. Heck of a cast. I'm bummed I haven't seen this. Yeah, Isabella Rossellini is, is terrific in this movie. Um, John Delancey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Del Toro, John yeah. Turturro. Dude. Yeah, it's, uh, the plane crash sequence in question is terrifying. I remember it's, it's one of the first time I'd seen a plane crash sequence. You know, now it's like every movie has a plane crash sequence, and I think Alive came out after this. But um, yeah, yeah, Fearless is a Fearless is a powerful movie. It, it's it's sometimes hard to watch because Bridges' character is so erratic and so off the deep end that at times, like you know, the the story is about his journey, and sometimes you don't like taking it with him. Um, but he completely invests in that performance and that character, and uh, yeah, everything about Fearless is a solid film. Um, Ethan, did you see Fearless? I it's it's another one I'd like to see. That's okay. That's all right. Hey, I'm 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 getting there in a second. Um, we'll talk now about the Truman Show. This is um, the movie that made everyone realize Jim Carrey could act. Yeah, and I remember that. that was so funny. Like, they put that all over the poster for the movie. It's like, like it's a movie miracle, and Jim Carrey is great in it. Surprise. Um, but no, I mean, we, we we do have to consider what a big deal it was because prior to the Truman Show, he was known as the guy who got paid way too much money to talk out of his butt for most of these movies, and he does this movie where it's not it's not that it's not a comic performance, but he does give Truman Burbank a soul. Um, uh, humanity and at the you know I gotta say at the very end when he realizes fully what his situation is and he breaks down I, that always moved me very much um, and you know where he's where uh, the Ed Harris character gives him an ultimatum it's worth noting that the Ed Harris character uh, was was originally going to be played by Dennis Hopper 
And Dennis Hopper, really? Yeah, if you can imagine that playing God, and then Dennis Hopper backed out, and that didn't happen. Um, and Harris is cool. Like I remember, he told this story about the film where he said he originally saw Kristoff, the, the name of the character. He saw Kristoff as being like this guy who basically suffered from male inadequacy. So this was like his way of making up for male inadequacy. And his original idea of Kristoff is that he had a hump, like a hunchback, a Notre Dame hump. And he said it was a ridiculous idea, but he like had this real actor's idea, like, like I really want to do this. So he, like, he went to Peter Weir, and Weir's like, okay, we'll, we'll try it. And, he, and Harris said, you know, obviously after one day of filming with the hump, it was clearly a disaster and a terrible idea. But the fact that we're like, let him try it, let him go with it, like, you know, that he actually trusted him to realize the hump is a terrible idea. Yeah. But uh, this was uh, um, one of the one of the few films that Ed Harris has actually been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, another actor, like, why hasn't this guy won an Academy Award yet? Um, I think Harris. Laura Lenny's great in it. What's that? Laura Linney is Laura, great. In it. Yeah, Laura. Yeah, I think this is the first one I've seen her that I really just like fell in love with her as an actress. Because like prior to this, I remembered her as the lead in Congo. So, <laughs> so. When the sign language monkey was the was the the high point of the film. The, when the sign language monkey steals scenes from Tim Curry, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Linney is scary good in this movie. Like she's really kind of creepy in some scenes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that that plastic face smile that she puts on. Yeah, at, at the, at the yeah. drop of a Hat. Yeah, she nails it. Yeah, and how she's always like like maniacally uh, uh, promoting the the products on the show because that's how the show gets its revenue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Natasha McElhone, I got to say, like, wow, if you didn't have a crush on her after watching no uh, uh, Surviving Picasso and then see her in this, I mean, she's just like got those huge eyes, gorgeous woman. And I love uh, Noah Emmerich as as his, as his best friend is always yeah. running over with the beer and yeah. he's gonna, he's got to like break into the house to see where Truman is. Hey, I got some beer. <laughs> you, you, you're around here somewhere, Truman. <laughs> <laughs> and he was great in Walking Dead. Sorry, yeah, he's no, in the last episode. He's so, a good yeah. actor. He's a good actor. Um, and of course, we're talking about this movie like everybody's seen it. Um, I, all I'll say is, if you haven't seen this movie, you, please do yourself a favor. Don't read any reviews. Don't watch any trailers. Just watch the thing. It really is one of the best films Carrie has done. I think it's probably one of the best film of its year, 1998. Um, it it's a fantasy. It's a fable. It's a metaphor. There's a lot going on. It's here. the forerunner to reality TV. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's funny. When this movie came out, this movie came out, and then the next year, Ed TV came out. And I remember both reviews saying, like, oh, these films are so, you know, just so, like, far-fetched in their ideas. And, like, and it, but, you know, by the time you have, I think it was two years later, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? John Carpenter was the first person ever won a million dollars. It's on the cover of, of USA Today. Like, like this movie happened. You know, we're living in the Truman Show. I mean, like, you know, the situation and Snooky. I mean, we're talking about these people. <laughs> Like like the Truman Burbank. Snooky wants smoosh smoosh. Seriously, Sorry. like we got parodies of these people. We got T-shirts of these people. We got like I saw a situation bobblehead when I was at Suncoast the other day. Was it holding a shirt up? Yes. <laughs> I'm completely serious. No, no, kidding. I'm completely serious. So it's like seriously, we we are the Truman Show. Okay, like this movie this movie had us nicked like back in '97. It's completely true. Um, the Truman Show was supposed to come out Christmas of '96, but the studio loved it so much they really thought that it would do better during the summertime. But it was originally going to be like their Oscar movie, but then they, uh, apparently the, the test screenings were so good and the studio loved this movie so much um, that they decided to release it in summer. And it was a huge – I think it's the biggest hit that uh, Peter Weir's ever had. I remember Jim Carrey at the uh, Golden Globes when he won. He walked up and took his statue. He's like, first of all, I'd like to thank the Academy – oh, wait. I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong show. 
And I'm like, that was so ballsy of him because he got he got he didn't get nominated for Oscar. No, no, the Oscar, the, the Academy's always expressed disdain for Carrie, which is weird to me because like I get it, you know, okay, Truman Show maybe like okay, maybe you thought like he was trying too hard for an award, but after after Man on the Moon yes. and Eternal Sunshine in the Spotless Mind, and, and even after now like the recent Philip Morris movie, it's like he's clearly a great actor in addition to a very popular star. I mean, he obviously deserves an Academy Award. Yes. So. Then we'll move on to, to, to your lacking. Yes, I have not seen this one. 2003's Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. I've seen it, but I don't remember much of it because it was so freaking long. <laughs> I remember The Lesser of Two Weevils, and that was about it. What's The Lesser Ooh. of Two Weevils? No, it's a joke in the movie. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. it's, an, it's a horrible joke that that, he, that Russell Crowe tells at the dinner table, table while they're at, at suit. Okay, clearly I'm going to stay out of this discussion. I've, I have nothing to offer. I, uh, I love this movie actually I it's been a while since I've seen it but I just remember finding it so entertaining and such so just kind of chill almost it's almost like a hangout movie at times like Rio Bravo or something you're just hanging out with these dudes in the boat and all but when it has action all the action is awesome and uh, I'm not normally actually I don't mind Russell Crowe it's just he's such an easy target like Mel Gibson that I have to kind of attack him every once in a while but he's good at uh, him and paul bettany are great together uh yeah the cinematography and it's beautiful i i remember like seeing it and just thinking that's like a perfect movie i should revisit it but yeah it's awesome great so i just got bombed by yeah. the dog so I, I i can't concentrate on anything right now so. oh oh you had a family dog moment with the yes okay. yes i did yeah, yes yeah yeah go ahead and wave that over there because holy crap dog okay sorry <laughs> I got nothing. No, <laughs> no, I'm you good. don't. You don't really remember it. No, I, I, I watched it. I got all the way through. I remembered that joke. And actually, one of the most striking things was when the uh, the the young boy on the on the ship hand with the uh, the, the cannonball accident, shall we say, the, the cannonball yeah. incident, was incredibly powerful, and it didn't shy away. But he, it wasn't gratuitous either. But then he kicks ass in the final battle. So it's like, yeah. I don't remember. Was this movie up for best picture? I think it was. I think it was. I, I think people, people like were saying, "Oh, this is the movie he's going to win for." It won two Oscars. Hang on. Because yeah, two thousand three, that was the year of Lost in Translation. I'm trying to remember what what won that year. So it's nominated for art direction, costume, director, editing, makeup, best picture, sound mixing, and visual effects. Wow. And it won I for think, cinematography and sound editing. Cool. I think Lord of the Rings won that year, right? You're right. Return of the King. Yep. Yep. That's right. Cool. And then the, his latest movie doesn't hasn't even come out yet, has it? No, it's a uh, it's kind of slowly opening up around the world and, and in different you know in different art theaters and whatnot. I think L.A. and New York might have it by now, but yeah, I think I read it's basically getting dumped, and it was like a hard it, like getting a company even distribute it was like really hard because Peter Weir he kind of specialized in making the kind of movies that were popular in like the '80s and '90s but aren't made anymore. Mm. So getting this was like a total was like a miracle it got released, but. Mm. It's it's really unfortunate just how the t- turn that movies have taken recently that something like this can't get a wide release. But yeah, but Yogi Bear does. What a great cast! You've got Colin Farrell and, uh, and Ed, Ed Harris, Ed Harris and Jim Sturges, who I've who I still feel like he needs to prove himself. <laughs> but uh, no, that's a good cast. It looks really good. And interesting. It looks pretty good. Like the, like everyone has a beard in it. So <laughs> yeah, it takes place in 1940. It's dealing with a uh, Soldiers who escape from a Siberian gulag. Wow. 
Yeah. So so it'll be a light, happy movie. <laughs> well, you know, I you know, I think I feel the same way about Ethan. Like whether the movie is great or not, I love that films like this are still being made. You know, yeah. And with a cast like that, and yeah, you know, these a lot of some of these actors have worked with them before, and they clearly go back to him because uh, because he's got that touch. And I guess if if we were to conclude the way I'll conclude this discussion is just to say that I love Weir just because this guy sees potential in actors that a lot of people don't. Um, I doubt that anybody else would have had the insight to hire Robin Williams as uh, as Professor Keating. I really doubt that anyone other than Peter Weir would have allowed uh, Jim Carrey to be cast as Truman Burbank and and Harrison Ford as John Book or Ali Fox. And I, I appreciate that so much. I mean, this is one of these guys that when I see actors cast so incredibly against type, I wonder if it's going to be a disaster or if it's just like Peter Weir. And this is a guy who sees aspects in their ability and in their character that maybe we just have not discovered. And it's because of Peter Weir that, you know, Harrison Ford can go back and forth between doing different films and Jim Carrey and, and for that matter, you know, all these guys. So, no, I, I applaud the guy because not only is not only are his films beautiful and thoughtful and sensitive and, and you know, like what you were saying, like really touching and tender, but um, – he uh, he has he trusts his actors in a way that you just don't see directors do anymore, and uh, I really really appreciate that. I think that's a good enough note to go out on. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I don't know what we're talking about when we get back next year. We'll figure it out while we're on our, <laughs> our, our hiatus. Um, I wonder if we're still going to be like buzzing about Trial and Legacy, or if we're going to be like, yeah, it's okay. Well, I, I think we're going to end up posting our Wild 105 in the RSS feed, okay. our, our review of Tron. So great, that'll be up on Friday, and okay. we'll, we'll just kind of go from there. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this week besides that film. Well, hey, let's let's talk about it briefly at least. Uh, my gosh, I've been waiting for this sucker all year. Next to Inception, there was no movie I was more excited about seeing all year, so I'm, I would love for this movie to like squeak into my top 10. I'd love for it to be that good. You know, I, I, I wouldn't get your hopes up. Uh, <laughs> and that's what everybody's saying too. I don't know. You know I don't the 23 know. minutes I saw from the, from the sneak preview, I'm really, they didn't disappoint me. They didn't make me lower my expectations at all. So I'm very excited to see Tron Legacy. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yes. Yeah, so this is Jeff Bridges, Gary Hedlund and Olivia Wilde. Well, if you're listening to our site, then clearly, you know, all about Tron Legacy. Um, also released uh, this weekend. Um, How do you know the aforementioned film from James L. Brooks starring Reese Witherspoon, Owen Wilson, Paul Rudd, and my favorite Jack Nicholson. And then, for all the little whippersnappers who either don't have the patience for Tron or just, you know, don't want to watch an adult movie, um, you know, you should drop these kids off in Narnia, which they'll probably enjoy so much more than Yogi Bear with the voices of... I love this guy. Why is he doing this movie? Dan Aykroyd, who I love. To be fair, the voice is pretty close to what the cartoon was. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. But, you know... Well, it's still like, you know, Rosie O'Donnell was such a great, like, you know... uh who who is she in the Flintstones? She was Betty. Betty Betty Rubble. It's like, yeah, she was great, but like, what a yeah 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 what a waste. Anyway, George yeah. W. Bush and decision points. Say what you will, but no Yogi Bear movie was released during my eight year presidency. <laughs> there you go. Aykroyd channeled spirits of Charles Manson, Benito Mussolini during Yogi Bear voiceover sessions and sub- subsequent serial rapes. AP, AP reporting Yogi Bear movie contains subliminal messages encouraging children to commit suicide. So, so where are you getting this all from? You, you need to give us the context, sir. Neil Hamburger and Tim Heidecker's Twitter accounts. AMC Theater's announcement tomorrow. Suicide prevention hotline number will appear on, on screen during entire Yogi Bear movie. <laughs> AMC Theater. <laughs> AMC Theater. <laughs> 
AMC theaters now say we may refuse to screen Yogi Bear movie understaffed understaffed for mass disposal of dead bodies and human waste. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Burger King offering free temporary swastika tattoos with purchase of Yogi Bear kids valued meal? Wow. Volunteers already scrubbing volunteers already scrubbing names off of Viet- Vietnam Memorial to replace with poor souls who worked on an attendance screenings in Yogi Bear movie. Okay, I think that's enough. That's tasteless, but pretty funny. I must wow, say. okay. Wow. And then we've got two limited films that you've seen, but you probably can't talk about yet, right? That's right. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't. Uh, George Hickenlooper's last film, uh, Casino Jack, starring Kevin Spacey. Let's see who else is in it. John Lovitz, Kelly Preston, and Barry Pepper. And then also in limited release, uh, the new film from John Cameron Mitchell, the director of Short Bus and Hedwig and the Angry Inch, a real uh, change of pace for him, and it's a great movie. But you didn't hear that from me. Uh, Rabbit Hole, starring... Nicole Kidman um, in a real comeback of a performance and Aaron Eckhart and Diane Weist. Diane Weist is amazing in this film but you didn't hear it from me because that hasn't opened yet but it's a great movie great movie <laughs> oh I just shouted that that just totally oh well it's okay what's coming out on DVD let's move on before people think about it yes thank you on DVD the new film uh, directed by great Australian director Philip Noyce uh, Salt starring Angelina Jolie I like this film no- did you see it? Noyce Noyce <laughs> no, I did not. I, I think it's a great movie, great action movie. I really enjoyed. You know, not a thinking person's movie, but it's fun. It's so fun. like so. It's like Wanted again. Better. I think it's much better than Wanted. Okay. Honestly, um, let's see the new Family Guy film. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not right. a Family Guy guy, but I, I'll see these. I will see all three of them at once just to knock them out. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think maybe I should too. Uh, let's see. A uh, real cornucopia of movies uh, here that yeah. we, we like and don't like. Um, one of my favorite films of the year, frankly, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, the sequel from Oliver Stone. Bet, even with the lousy ending, I still love this movie. I saw it a second time, and I got to say, I think it's a really solid film. Available on regular and the Blue Wrist uh, Collector's Edition. Uh, one of Dave's favorite movies of the year. And you know what? I will, I will make a point to see it before the year is out. Easy A. Um, also available on Blu-ray. Just for Patricia Clarkson and um, Stanley Tucci, Tucci as the parents. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're awesome. Yeah, I, I have not heard one. Like, not only have I not heard one bad thing, but I haven't, I haven't even heard one middle-of-the-road thing. I've heard this is just a really great movie, so I will check it out. Take Julia. Um, Blu-ray, available on Blu-ray, the uh, 2D version of Step Up 3D. It's a goofy, fun movie. It, it's breaking, too. It totally is. So is a guilty pleasure? Is it fun or? It, it, oh, I'll never watch it again. Um, <laughs> okay. There, there, there's like I said before when I saw it and did the, the review a few months back. There's this part where they're talking. They, they're talking to the dancers about why they love dance, and I wanted to see that full documentary because that was that really sucked me in in a big way. Hmm. But you know, it's it's impressive to see what people can do with their bodies in dancing. I mean, it's it, there's some really cool stuff in it. Okay. So yeah, not an owner. No, it's a renter. Okay. Uh, the Guild season four, woohoo! Fun times and and Will Wheaton is in season four as well. Yes, so oh excellent. Well, hey, oh, yeah. if he's got Will, oh Will. he's he plays such a jerk too. It's awesome. Great, great. Uh, one of the biggest surprises of the year for me because I was expecting this to be a disaster. I thought it was actually a really good movie, a B film, but a really good B film. Uh, M Night Shyamalan presents The Devil. Um, I can't think of one actor who's in the movie, but you know what? It, it's it's a. <laughs> I would go even further than a guilty pleasure. I thought this was really well done, really well written. The acting isn't great. It's you know it, it is what it is. It's a, it's a live action Twilight Zone episode, but it's smarter and more stylish and a lot more entertaining than I thought it would be. I really enjoyed Devil. Um, let's see, Futurama Volume Five. Can't go wrong there. And then finally, our crap title of the week. You um, know, should I say what I was was thinking about putting up? 
as our crap title of the week? What were you thinking about putting it? Hang on, let me, let me find the exact titles, but there were two okay. sets of Bob Ross DVDs. Oh, that's right. You were picking on Bob Ross earlier. <laughs> well, it's not picking on. It's just kind of like, that's kind of odd. He's not alive on. anymore, is he? No, he's not. Oh. Yeah, with the wispy clouds and the, yeah. I yeah. like his hair. He looks like a Q-tip. A he dirty does. Q-tip. But. Yes. Uh, let me see. Where is it? Okay, Joy, did Bob Ross join of painting the Waterfalls Collection or the Barnes Collection? Aw. I'd, I'd watch that and try to learn how to paint a barn. And, and you'd watch it to fall asleep, too. Because the man does have a soothing voice. He's got a very, yeah, I used to love watching him. Like, he was on, I think, before, like, either before or in between Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. So I used to love watching his show. Yeah, yeah. Aw. Okay. God so, bless sorry. you, Bob Ross. But, but what is our crap title of the week? Because this is it's just kind of fun to make a joke about, but this Yeah, this is no, this is this is really bad. Uh Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. <laughs> Starring Jaleel White <laughs> and <laughs> Robert Picardo. Robert That's tragic. The fact that he's in it, that's tragic. Oh, yeah. the trailer. Oh my gosh. With Jaleel like, White. Jaleel White is trying to do like the Tyrese Gibson part. This is Urkel, by the way. Yes. For those of you who don't know who Jaleel White is, he's this try- is Urkel off of Family Matters. He's trying so hard to kind of be that Tyrese Gibson character in Transformers, and it just doesn't work. Does he get the? <laughs> does he have the guns though? Uh, he 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 definitely got in better shape, but still, it. <laughs> is he more Urkel, Urkel, or Stefan Urkel? <laughs> he's more Stefan. He's definitely more Stefan. Can we look it up online? Like, who else is in this? It can't be just those two. I mean, do they do they get anybody else who? Like... Those were the only names that came up in the trailer. Okay. And I might have to pause this to show you the trailer because oh, oh the garbage in this thing. Hang on here. Uh, let's see. And did this did this already run on Sci-Fi or is this? Or did I don't it know skip if it did it? or not. Okay. Uh, Mega Shark. Mega Shark. <laughs> I'll just do Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. <laughs> Perfect. There it is. Crocosaurus. Uh. <laughs> wow. Now that is how you sell a movie with a poster like that. Who else we got? Uh, no one. Yeah. Wow, those really are no, really the, no one man. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, oh, you know I'm gonna pause it so you can see the trailer because you okay. have to see this. This All is right. glorious. And now Barry has. <laughs> I gotta say, you know, next to somewhere and True Grit and the Fighter, I want to see that more than anything else this year. <laughs> man, I can't wait to see that. Jaleel White trying to be all serious. And yeah, it, oh, no question. <laughs> and just the giant crocodile. Yeah, the man. Fifteen hundred foot long. If I was nine years old, that would be not only the greatest movie of my life, but that would be like a film I'd watch in a loop all the time. That's like Godzilla 1985 all over again. Man, I can't wait to see that. Wow. That's fun bad. You know, I mean, we've seen bad, bad all year, but that's that's fun bad. So. Yes, yes. And um, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is our last episode for the year. We'll be back on January 9th recording another episode. But if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can email us at podcast, Dave, Barry, or Ethan, all at screengeeks.com. Um, I guess I can announce the site even though it's not up yet, but um, we are opening up another Screen Geeks website, believe it or not. Franchise! Yes, essentially. Uh, Jack Gregson, he, he was on a few episodes ago talking about the London Film Festival, is going to be spearheading the ScreenGeeks.co.uk website. Um, we've got it bought and there's a crappy site there now, but that's part of why we're taking the next few weeks off so I can work on trying to get something up for them and a redesign for us so that our site looks better. Jack is a pimp and business is a booming. Yes, there are going to be all kinds of people. I'm reaching out to other people working on it too and awesome. it's going to be a blast. But uh, if you want to shoot us a voicemail, you also can give us a call at 719-358-2675. And uh, yeah, I guess that'll, that'll we'll call it a year. Call it a year. It's 2010's almost over and we still haven't made contact. I'm sad. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Till next year, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is two years of my life.
wasted. It's been a while. 